that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, your Ohio State coverage team for Cleveland.com. Hope you guys are doing well. This is your Big Wednesday Ohio State podcast, and we have to differentiate that now more than ever because the plan is to go to daily Buckeye Talk podcasts, Monday through Friday. We've been doing the mini pods on Monday and Friday in the last couple weeks in addition to the Big Wednesday pod. The plan now is something like half-hour Buckeye Talk episodes, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and the big, giant two-hour podcast every Wednesday because I, I can't give that up. If you Somebody suggested, guys, that maybe we go to like 45 minutes all five days and not have the big, giant Wednesday pod. I would have a hole in my soul if we didn't try to sit down for at least two hours. Do you guys, would you want to give up the two-hour pod or is this part of who we are? I think this is part of the Buckeye Talk identity, and it's much harder to get to the nonsense that we everyone loves that we talk about if we are so limited as to how much time we have to talk. Period. I, I, I don't like. We do two hour. I don't understand how people do one hour podcasts at this point. I think there's too much to talk about. It is weird. We've been calling the, you know, the Monday, Friday ones that we're doing mini pods, but they're still like 40 minutes and like 40 minutes is like a normal podcast, but like 40 minutes is like one topic. Like if you really dive into a question, it takes 40 minutes to discuss all the stuff and then you throw in frozen pizza. So that's going to be the plan. I think it will be um, a good plan. And the plan for this podcast is a deep dive with great tech subscriber answers and a in-depth discussion on how Ohio State fans and how the Ohio State football program should think about Clemson, how much they should think about Clemson, how do fans feel about Clemson in relation to a team like Michigan or a team like Alabama? Should you fear Clemson, respect Clemson, hate Clemson? We put that out to our tech subscribers about a week ago. Tremendous in-depth answers. We're going to run through a lot of them. Then we have a lot of specific categories that Nathan, Steven, and I are going to go over about what we think uh, about Clemson and how Clemson's going to keep this going or not keep it going. So that's coming up. And again, if you want to be part of something like that, make sure you get it on the tech subscription, 14-day free trial, and you get to interact with that. Make sure you a friend of the pod. Be our friend. 614-350-3315. Send a text to that and it'll tell you how to get signed up. 14-day free trial, four bucks a month after that. Um, the kind of thing that we're talking about was spurred by a couple people sort of asking questions originally about, uh, originally about Clemson and how Ohio State should think of them. So we want to get to some other things first before we get into Clemson talk, because there are some things going on. Nathan, you were on a conference call this week with some Ohio State coaches, not football people, but about eligibility and, and everything that's happening with Ohio State. So let's spin that to a football question to start from the 614. If there is no season, if there's no football season in the fall, do the people who we thought were obvious to leave, and they give the examples of Wyatt Davis and Justin Fields, would they still leave or would they come back 
because they didn't get this season. Nathan, we'll start with you, and then maybe you can get into actual some of the rules of how some of this stuff might apply. But if you were a player with a choice, how do you think you would view it if the NFL is calling you, but you didn't get to play the season in college you thought you were going to get to play? Well, I think as with every year, it's going to come down to individual decisions and what kind of feedback those individual players are getting. So I imagine in the the example that the texter kind of posits here, Justin Fields is probably going. I think he's still going to be considered a first round or very, very high round talent, uh, regardless of whether or not he gets to play football this fall. I actually wrote something about that that's on the site this morning, kind of going into, I think it was a different text or question more specifically about Justin Fields, but kind of breaking out my my thought process on that. Um, probably same for Wyatt Davis. Um, I, I think for other underclassmen, and same for, um, not underclassmen, but but juniors and, and under, same for Sean Wade. I mean, those guys are, I think, already were considered borderline high first-round talents if they had come out after last year for those that were able to. Um, and I think they probably still make that jump. Now, I think when you start getting into the more borderline cases, that's where it maybe becomes a factor because these guys didn't get to go out and improve their case with a 2020 season. And we also don't know if they're not playing football in 2020. We don't know. This is a very speculative kind of situation, but we don't know what that means as far as are people still doing workouts? Are you getting in front of scouts? That sort of thing. So, um I think for the borderline cases, it could possibly convince some guys to stay and get that extra year and really prove themselves. I also think, though, that um, the natural extension of that question is what just happened with the spring athletes being kind of granted that extra year of eligibility. You assume that would carry over to the fall and something similar would be passed on. So if you're a, a senior who would have ended their career in 2020, maybe you would get that year of eligibility back. But if you're a senior who could go to the NFL, I don't see how any situation where you're coming back to Ohio State for that extra year, I think you you have to go because at some point there's kind of a uh, what what's the I'm trying to think of the graph or whatever where it's like a diminishing return with your age. Like your age is part of why you're a prospect, and the older you get, the less time teams have to pull the best football out of you in your career. So I think those guys have to jump if that situation were to come around. Steven, what do you think? I agree. I think you'll see high, high profile players will make the jump. I just start getting ready for, for things earlier. If there's no football season while, you know, with these guys who are maybe on the bubble, like a guy like a Chris Olave, who maybe this season could be the thing that puts him over the top and makes his decision for him. He probably comes back just because it's, it's less information that he has on the table that, that scouts can look at. I will say I think there's a great – obviously the great discussion, and we'll get into that next, around can players get this extra year of eligibility for what they lost here. The best players in college, it's not about how many years they get to be in college. It's how many years they have to be in college. Yeah. So, like, if these guys could go pro out of high school, some of them would be gone already. But there are rules in place that are forcing – college basketball players to go for at least a year, forcing college football players to go for at least three years. So like they can't hold that clock back. They can't say to Justin Fields, like, well, you know, you only did two years of college football. You've got to go back for a third year. Cause actually it's not about how many years you play. It's about how many years you are removed from your last mm-hmm. year of high school. So I-, I think it would have no effect on anybody that anybody who wanted to go would go because they're being pent up. They're in a little – the gates are up around them. Their opportunity, they're in the little field of opportunity 
and they're grazing and they're looking out at the mountaintops. And the NCAA comes over and puts a gate around them and says, we're not opening the gate for a year or for three years or whatever. So, you know, that the idea of, oh, Justin Fields or Wyatt Davis or anybody else would like miss out on a year of college is like, well, that's not that's not really what it's about anyway. Nathan, these other athletes, the ones who aren't going pro, you had this discussion with a lot of the sort of other types of sports at Ohio State. The, basically, the NCAA said any spring athlete, since the entire spring season was wiped out, they will get an extra year of eligibility. They did not apply it to the winter sport athletes who got a big chunk of their season but did not get their championship. How? What was the reaction like from Ohio State? I guess, first of all, let's do this first. Nathan, I mean, we'll start with Stephen first. Stephen, your reaction to the NCAA decision to grant the extra year of eligibility to spring athletes but not winter athletes, what did you think? The spring was obvious. They didn't get to play any other sport. They they didn't play the entire season. While with winter athletes, it's a little harder to just, you know, they're in postseason. So what you're basically – is you're, to give them a whole extra season is because they've missed maybe one or two extra games depending on how good their team is. I understand why they didn't give it to winter sports, but yeah, for spring, you didn't play your entire season. It's almost like you read, it's, you read the entire spring athlete, student athlete redshirted this year, basically. But you didn't think, I mean, well, really when we're talking about winter sports, we're just talking about the NCAA basketball tournament. And I know yeah. there's other athletes too. Did you think they were going to give it to be like, man, you guys didn't get to do March Madness. We'll give you the extra year. Did you think that was a real possibility? I didn't. I think if this would have happened in February, I think it's a better possibility just because there's still some regular season left to play. But just to, to grant that many people an extra year because of obviously it's their big money maker, but that's not you're, – you're, 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 because of maybe six games, basically. I think that's too much you know, uncertainty of how much a, a player can play. You, to have a guy come like, – what are you going to do? You have a guy sit out the entire season and then play just in the tournament just so they can say they got a chance to play in the tournament one last time? No, it's it's – that's not enough bas- basketball miss for them to have to, you know, play a whole extra year because of it. All right, Nathan, before you get into the explanation, what did you personally think of the decision? I, I thought it was the most um, sensible decision to make under the circumstances. Um, I did think that the the situation where they are leaving it up to each individual school to decide if it's going to honor the scholarships really creates some tough decisions for not for Ohio state for Ohio state. It's nothing. I mean, I, I kind of ran the numbers a little bit and these are inexact numbers, but if you go by the average amount that they paid per scholarship to spring sport athletes and the, how many seniors they had last year, you're talking about 800, you know, it's $800,000 at maximum. If everybody comes back, we already know everybody's not coming back. So you might be talking about less than half a million dollars. I'm not saying that's nothing, but in a $200 million athletic budget, that's not that much, but you go down to the lower ends of division one. And when you're talking about spring sports, you're not just talking about a hundred and some football schools. You're talking about 300 and some schools that range in range significantly in size and scope and, and, and budgets. So I, I think it's going to really put some places in a, in a tough spot and some, you know, at, at Ohio State right now, the narrative is which of these spring athletes, you know, lacrosse players, tennis players, golfers, which ones are 
you know, want to come back and take that extra year and can keep competing, maybe as grad students, whatever, and which ones are ready to just go start their professional careers, which a lot of them are probably able to step into pretty good careers and get things going. Um, and you mean other going, schools, pro, going pro in something other than sports. Yes. Yeah. In, in the business world in, or going on, I mean, there's a lot of them that are going on to some kind of, um, their next step of their academic career that maybe doesn't leave time for playing on the tennis team. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's grad school, it's pre doctorate things, you know, things like that. So it's a different kind of athlete typically than you're dealing with, with basketball and football. Um, at other schools, the situation, the question is going to be, well, we're just not providing any scholarship assistance now. And again, with the spring, we're talking about partial scholarships, you know, lacrosse coach, um, Ohio State's lacrosse coach yesterday was was talking. You about, forgot the name of the Ohio State lacrosse coach, Nathan. Oh, it's Nick Myers. Oh, okay. Isn't that funny? Because because <laughs> yeah. it used to be um, like they used to do a lacrosse game like before the spring football game, and it was like Nick Myers and Urban Meyer. It was always confusing. Okay, good. You remembered it. Good. But I thought if I said Nick Myers and didn't explain who he was, then. Uh, there's probably not a big lacrosse fan base listening to this podcast. So if just, you have lacrosse questions, you may email them to nbaird at cleveland.com. Go ahead. Sure. Um, they, they will be, they will safely sit in my inbox indefinitely. Um, but what I say now you got, you knocked me off my train of thought, but there's, there's, he was, he was specifically talking about a guy who had, it was on like, I think a 15% scholarship and is taking loans to, come up with the rest of that in order to be a student at Ohio State and compete on the lacrosse team. So you can see where the math starts to become involved in each individual decision. Do I want to take on another X tens of thousands of dollars of debt, even at a public school for one year to keep playing lacrosse, or is it time for me to go on with the next stage of my life? Um, so that's the other thing to remember here. I, I think if the NCAA, I, their hands are a little bit tied, I guess. I don't think they could really force every especially these smaller schools, these smaller athletic departments, I don't think they can force them to come up with that athletic scholarship money that they weren't already budgeted for, especially under the circumstances. We don't know what things are going to look like economically. So it just puts some people in a really tough spot. But, I mean, Ohio State has obviously stepped up as they should with the kind of budget they have, the kind of resources they have, and have, have given their spring sports athletes kind of a, a, a safety net here if they want to come back and keep their careers going. All right. This is pretty boring, actually, because no offense, people don't care about those sports that much. Actually, take offense. I don't care. Um, we don't have a lacrosse podcast. If we had a lacrosse podcast, 11 people would listen to it, and they'd all be parents. I understand it's a tough break for those kids. I just want to get to the nut of how this would actually all work, right? So the bottom line is, if you are a spring sport athlete and you got you missed a season and you would like to come back for your senior season – you have to be a student for a whole extra year. You can't just like go mess around in the fall and winter and then show up and play spring sports. Like you're right. You're committing yourself to being Correct. a student for a whole extra year yeah. and like treading water somehow that if you have your degree requirements done and maybe you don't want a master's, you don't want to pay for it, but you've got to stay enrolled in school to some degree to allow yourself to be eligible to play the season. And you probably is a very great possibility you are not on a full scholarship, so it's going to cost you money to do that. Correct, and you'd have to pay for a full year of school. So if you're a spring sport athlete, you're paying. I don't know what a year of of in-state tuition in Ohio State is now, but I'm. You're, what are you probably? You're probably talking about 
Well, whatever it is, we don't know. Thirty what it is. grand or whatever for a for a full year, and that's not including probably some living expenses and other things like that. I mean, each individual spring sport athlete is going to have to make a significant financial contribution in order to come back and play that second year. I think of the four coaches we talked to yesterday, there was only one athlete among baseball, men's and women's lacrosse, and men's tennis that was on a full scholarship. And it was weirdly enough, it was women's lacrosse. So there of the whole program, not just among the seniors, the entire program of all four of those programs. So for a lot of these, these athletes, it's going to, it's going to cost them a lot more. They're going to have to still make more of of a financial contribution than Ohio state will to their athletic careers next year. And then I think it's probably something maybe the average fan doesn't realize how those scholarships get divvied up in programs that there are say 10 scholarships for a team, but there's 23 players. So the coach is parceling out. You get a 50% scholarship. You get a 30% scholarship. It's not just the same as saying, Hey, basketball players go to school for free for another year to get to play a season. So um, it's a tough decision for those athletes, but Ohio state can figure it out. It's, it's more going to be an individual thing. Did you get, did you get the sense final thing on this, Nathan? Did, it, did you get the sense that the, the coaches thought a lot of their players, a lot of their seniors would take advantage of this? Or did they think in the end it would be sort of limited for all the reasons we just discussed? You know, I think that's going to, again, vary. Um, you know, the, the women's lacrosse coach, Amy Bacher, she said, I think two of her seven eligible seniors were coming back and the others were not. Um, Tennis only had one player. He is coming back. Uh, baseball is also a little interesting because we don't exactly know what's going on with the amateur draft. Um, that is a little bit up in the air. Some of the parameters with that, which could be a potential wrinkle that they have to deal with. Um, but again, these are all these are these are the sports when they when you see those ads the DTA or the Big Ten does about how well blah 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 of our student athletes go pro in something other than sports. These are the sports they're talking about. Um, so I know people, we're getting a lot of questions about how this, what just happened this week with the spring sports might apply if no fall happens and it's a completely different world. Um, but I, I get the impression that I, I think they, well, I guess what, here's the way I will say it. The, the, all the coaches seem to have an idea of where this put them. They had already kind of started game planning for what this was going to mean as far as managing their roster. Um, but I think as far as which ones are going to be coming back and which ones aren't, I think that's really, it varies a lot right now. Okay. So that's the update on that. That was actual news. Again, Nathan wrote about that. He was on a conference call with those coaches this week um, from the five, one, three. And we're guess we're going to dabble in this stuff. Um, I'm going to try to write a big giant thing about this and pull everything in on, on if there's football, if there's not football, the discussion is it's a lot of talk, to get nowhere. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but from the five, one, three, do you think they would push the season back so that they could save the season and some athletic programs? So a couple, a couple things about this, and then we'll get out of this on, on the football season. A and Nathan, you probably have the best handle on this financially. And there's a lot of ADs dribs and drabs coming out. If they don't play football, that is a giant economic hit, and that is something – because that's the moneymaker for every athletic department in the country. So from that standpoint, that is such a giant financial consideration. I would imagine they will do their best, and it's not to, like, serve the athletes. It's, like, to keep the athletic departments afloat. That money aspect to me means they will shorten, they will move around, they will sort of do whatever they have to do with the football season because if they don't play it, every school is out millions and tens of millions and maybe a hundred million dollars. Right, Nathan? 
if there's no football in the fall, it's catastrophic for college sports. Um, I was looking at Ohio State's numbers for 2018-19. I think 85% of the ticket sales for the whole athletic department are football ticket sales. I mean, the revenue that comes from ticket sales, something like 70 to 75% of the media rights come in for football. Um, it, it It is the engine that fuels everything else. And um, it, it's going to be – maybe a school like Ohio State would find a way to get through it because of their financial ties and resources – but there are going to be some schools that just have to basically shut down their athletic department for a year or more. And I'm talking about they're not going to be able to pay coaches. They're not going to be able to pay any scholarships. I mean, um, they're going to have to just completely shut down because there just literally will be not enough revenue. Um, you can't sustain tens of millions of dollars in uh, losses for even one year. It just it's it, it, it's it's not something that a, a institution of higher learning could really absorb. Athletic departments live paycheck to paycheck. They don't have giant right. rainy day funds. They, a school like Ohio State brings in $200 million plus um, into their athletic department each year, and they spend every cent of it. Some of it's like bookkeeping mumbo jumbo. But again, these are, these are not businesses that have a bunch of profits sitting around. They use football and basketball to a lesser extent to fund everything else they do from scholarships for all those other sports teams to, you know, building new athletic buildings, um, every part of it. So they don't have yeah. money sitting around. And that's another thing to, to think about is it, it's not just that whether or not football will be allowed to happen and that income will come in. Start thinking about if, if we're not having football in the fall, what do that, what other realities are existing in this country that are affecting the economy as a whole in the fall, which means we're going to still be going months and months and months. And how does that affect the contributions that you're getting? Because that's how you pay for all these buildings and all these things. Um, again, Ohio State is, has been such a cash cow for, for so long that it is probably in a more secure position. But there's going to be places around this country, maybe even places within the Big Ten, they're going to just be absolutely crushed by this because they, they haven't had that financial advantage for so long. And so the thing I want to say about this is nobody knows anything. So I am actually sort of at my breaking point with stories about this. And we just had a five minute discussion about it, but athletic directors and college football analysts and economists and like a lot of people like that are being quoted on things. And some of them are saying things like, well, I don't think there's going to be a season. And it's like, you have no idea economist ding dong it's whatever university of of you know made up numbers like you don't know because it's all a scientific epidemiology discussion it's not an it's because if the virus doesn't get figured out nobody's going anywhere so like some of this stuff well athletic directors say they don't know i don't know you don't know nobody knows so i don't like when some of these People are projecting when the science is going to tell us everything about what happens with everything else. So I, I get frustrated by some of that. I don't want to do a ton of it. I want us to be a distraction from thinking about that. But the bottom line is, who knows? But science is going to lead the way. The one thing that I think is minorly interesting, and this is just, again, off the top of our head, we've talked a little bit in the, in the past about could you shorten the season, whatever? Some people have floated the idea of like, could you move football to the spring, next spring if you had to, and you squeeze it in in between other stuff because, again, you're so desperate sort of for that money. 
Like, Stephen, does that, any of this make sense to you of like, how desperate do you think people would, would be in terms of almost moving football season if they had to? Does any part of that make sense to you? It does because of the revenue that college football brings in, especially in comparison to other sports. I, I, I doubt it gets moved all the way back in the spring, but I do think that sometimes if it gets to a point where, you know, we the, the season might be in jeopardy, you'll, as we talked about earlier podcast, there's a chance that they just knock out certain games and just focus on a non-conference schedule or do everything they can to keep that you know schedule going in the fall, even if that means knocking out some of those earlier games, just for the sake of, we can't, this is the one sport in college sports that we cannot lose. And I, and I do think it would be possible you could move around, you know, some other sports schedules to clear a path a little bit for football whenever you think you could have football. So they're playing spring football anyway. Maybe they play regular football in the spring. So um, we don't know. Who knows? Fingers crossed. Um, so we will move on from that. You guys can keep asking us questions. And again, there is this people are discussing this. So if you want to text it to us and sign up at 614-350-3315, we'll talk about it, but we're not going to get bogged down in it. This I thought was a good one from the 727. In year two of Ryan Day as a head coach, do you think coaches out there will look at the tape and break down the weaknesses in the Ryan Day offense? Would it possibly mean that, like, Justin Fields won't be as good? How likely is it that Justin Fields will be like JT Barrett in 2016? And the example there is that, like, JT Barrett, I think arguably, maybe inarguably, his best season was his redshirt freshman season in 2014. And by 16 and 17, especially 16, he didn't seem to be the same type of quarterback exactly. Um, Nathan, you're ready to jump in there. What do you, what's, are they going to figure out Ryan Day? Uh, yeah, I mean, teams will, will break down that film and see some things, but so will Ryan Day and so will Justin Fields. And I think they're, you know, this seems to be a program that does from my one year of observing it does a pretty good job of, um, self-evaluation and sort of prioritizes that in some ways. And, and right now they're getting an extended period of time to do that. So I think it's it kind of probably comes out in the wash a little bit. I don't know that I saw things last year that were just these staggering vulnerabilities that people didn't exploit um, because, well, partially because they're football coaches who know more about football and probably would have exploited them if they had seen them. Or if I had seen them, they certainly would have seen them. So um, that's maybe not the best example. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like it's 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 both. I mean, I think there – yeah, there are probably some things out there that teams will see and want to try to exploit, but that doesn't mean that opening will be there when they finally play Ohio State again in 2020 because Ryan Day may have seen that himself and um, found a way to sort of close off that opening. Steve, what do you think, Steven? I think it's 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 yeah sure they'll find some weaknesses in year two just because you have more tape on the kid but the the the, the deficiencies in what JT Barrett's skill set was and what Justin Fields' skill set were are now are just so different that I don't think it's like to the point of, yeah Ryan Day Ryan, Ryan Day's also gonna be able to work on those deficiencies obviously he can't do that in person at this point but Ryan Day's been running the offense even before he was the head coach, so it's not like there's going to be much new. It's, we know what it is with Ryan Day. A lot of his offense depends on the skill set of his quarterback. While with JT Barrett, he was here for four years as a starter, and his deficiencies were there from day one, and they just, they never improved. 
That's the big difference here. While with Justin, this the floor was already higher and the ceiling is higher. So listen, didn't we just have make a big deal about the fact that like uh, Ryan Day as a coach is going to have a returning quarterback for the first time in X number of yeah. years, right? So here's the thing. It can't be that like, oh, finally I'm excited to have a quarterback in year two, and now all of a sudden you're worried that like, well, now everybody's going to catch up with you and your quarterback. I think the thing about the Ryan Day offense is it's not a system. It is not the Chip Kelly offense that when Ohio State played Oregon in that Rose Bowl, the whole thing with like that sort of up-tempo Chip Kelly style of offense was it's really hard to prepare for week to week, but if you get a month to prep, you can figure it out. Um, it's, it's not even like the urban rich rod spread offense kind of thing that was, you know, took over college football two decades ago. It's, it's, it's just attacking a defense in a smart way. And for instance, when Ryan day against, um, Don Brown and that Michigan defense, the last year that urban Meyer was the head coach in 2018, you know, Ryan day, picked a game plan for that game based on the the Michigan defense. And so I don't know that there is something to figure out with Ryan day because he has a style, right? He wants to spread you out. He wants to sort of use um, spread formations and then NFL route principles, right. To attack a defense, but it's, 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 it's a style, not a system. So I don't, and, and again, to the point of he's had, he had JT Barrett, then he had, as, as running a Ryan Day offense, JT Barrett ran it, Dwayne Haskins ran it, Justin Fields ran it. He's had such different types of quarterbacks, and he's adapted mm-hmm. the offense to each of them. And we made such a big deal the first year with JT Barrett, all these mesh routes, the crossing routes in the middle of the field, where it's almost like a little bit of a pick play. And they went nuts with that. And then Ryan Day said, well, now the next step is the once the defense adjusts to that, then we make an adjustment off their adjustment. And those mesh routes kind of went away, and they figured out the next thing. So I think this offense is so multiple. I, I completely understand the question. But part of the issue with, like, JT is that they, they changed the offensive coordinator. So in 16, you know, it's, it's, it's less that people caught up to JT, it's that the offensive coordinators weren't very good, and we're not going to do a Tim Beck, Ed Warner thing right now. But the Ryan Day offense has worked. It is multiple. It is adaptable. And so I understand that worry. I just don't think it applies here because I just think Ryan Day is like a smart offensive dude, and he is ready to adjust to the adjustment. So I wouldn't spend a lot of time worrying about that. From the 706. Uh, it's a shout out to our team of coverage. So we appreciate that from the 706. Thanks for giving me all this Buckeye content. The question is, how big is the gap right now between Ohio State and Michigan? Do you see Harbaugh there for more than two years if he goes 0-2 over these next two years? We we are constantly getting Michigan and Harbaugh questions. We love it. We'll never turn them down. Steven, just to describe the gap. I think describing the gap is always an interesting way to discuss this. And it's actually going to help lead us into the clubs and discussion. So how would you characterize the Michigan Ohio state gap right now? It's wide, you know, and the score of the last two years you know, is a, is a spitting image of how wide it actually is. Ohio state is bringing in five stars and developing their five stars to the max, i.e. Chase Young, 
Jeff Okuda, Wyatt Davis, J.K. Dobbins. While, look, I mean, Michigan does a solid job recruiting, but they're not recruiting on the same level that Ohio State is, along with the fact that Ohio State just got probably the greatest transfer quarterback of all time. When you look at ratings-wise, what he was able to do the moment he stepped on the field, they're so far behind from that standpoint. But then also – you said, I mean, you said ratings wise. You know, Joe Burrow won the Heisman and the national title, and is going to be the right. Best. I mean, when he like when he decided to transfer, I'm not yeah. saying like now. Yeah, like Joe Burrow when he first got to LSU wasn't this. Justin Fields was, you know, we thought he would. People thought he would be. We know who Justin Fields, but he's good. We get it. All right, all right. Okay, so throw but, Joe Burrow. In but uh, I, I know, I know. It's okay. And also from a scheme standpoint, Ohio in 2018, Ohio State ran all over Michigan mainly because Michigan refused to come out of man against a team who mess routes fast wide receivers. And from a scheme standpoint, Ohio State just dominated them. Now Michigan switched up a lot this year in this year's game, but still the talent gap is just so wide between Ohio State and what Michigan is. And also from what Justin Fields said, it just seems to mean more for Ohio State. It's something they're thinking about 365 days a year while like the impression he got as a guy who's only been in the rivalry for 12 months is Michigan doesn't approach it the same way Ohio State does. What's your description, Nathan? In a weird way, it should be the opposite, right? In a weird way, Michigan should be the one who cares more about this rivalry. Um, and it, it, it's, it's interesting to me that it, from Ohio State's perspective, it's both that they're out there you know, excelling at this national level and then also keeping their boot on the throat of the – of the little kid, the little brother or whatever. Um, I, I don't, I don't see this changing anytime soon. I, I, I think for the next foreseeable, I don't know. I mean, for the next decade, it's going to be an upset if Michigan beats Ohio state. Yeah. I mean, I think the bottom line is that they're just, they're not in the same tier. Right. And it's not right. that like, um, Oh, you know, they're both among the top, 10 programs in the country and Ohio state's a little bit higher and Michigan's not quite, they're just, they're operating on different levels. Just that, just like Ohio state and Bowling Green are on different levels. And I'm not saying Michigan is on Bowling Green's level, but it's just, it's a different, every, they're different in every way. All the things you just described, scheme, recruiting, emphasis on the rivalry. Um, Harbaugh's got to shake them out of, you know, it, it, they tried to do sort of the the minor adjustment with bringing in Josh Gaddis to sort of update the offense last year. And that was, you know, wasn't very good early on, got a little better later. Um, you know, I thought originally Harbaugh coming in with sort of a pro style thing, very different than the Urban Meyer offense. That would be a way for them to compete with Ohio State because you can't do what Ohio State does because you're not going to do – if you do the exact same thing, you're not going to do it as well. Um, but, like, it didn't work. So – I I think at this point, um, the gap is so wide, it, it might just take a reset. And again, I've sort of said in the past, Harbaugh might be their John Cooper, and now Michigan might need their Jim Tressel and take on an underdog mentality a little bit um, and put a chip on your shoulder and just reset it. It doesn't mean I'd get rid of Jim Harbaugh, but I, I just don't know if there's a solution while he's there because I think trying to do minor fixes here and there maybe isn't going to do it. It's going to take another reset for Michigan and a, and a reset might truly mean a new dude. I don't want to do 20 minutes on this, but what tier is Michigan in right now? Because I think, you know, we've talked about Ohio state being in that upper tier. I think you can 
you can safely put Penn State in that next tier, somebody who is, depending on what they do head to head with Ohio State, maybe contending for a playoff spot, but maybe at the bottom of that second tier. And then doesn't, I, there, I don't think you can put Michigan in that second tier. I think they're down in that third tier, which is big enough to include teams like Iowa, um, I, I guess Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin is the same tier as Penn State. Okay. Yeah. I, probably. I think, yeah. I but I think if you're tearing up the Big Ten, if you're doing national tiers, I think in the Big Ten, Ohio State's in the top. I think Penn State and Wisconsin are in the second, and then Michigan would be in that third tier. I agree with that. I agree. But then there's, but, it, but it's it's interesting when you start taking and then thinking what other Big Ten teams deserve to be also in that third tier, and it really puts perspective on where Michigan is right now. Right. Then it's like, oh, Michigan's as good as Iowa, Iowa and yeah. and Michigan State when Michigan State's at its best. You know, I think right. I think because I think the first tier, the top tier, and again, it's that tier we've talked about a million times on here. It's probably five teams is national title contender every year. Mm-hmm. I think the second tier is always good. And when you are at your best you can challenge to make the playoff, right? And it's not like Penn State has made the playoff. It's not like Wisconsin has made the playoff, but they're always good. And when they're really good, they're on the edge of the playoff. But Michigan really, I, I mean, I guess, you know, again, the, if the JT Barrett spot, right? I mean, that kind of thing. If Michigan wins that game, they're in the playoff. Uh, Michigan was favored uh, in 2018 and got their doors blown off, but just they don't, they haven't competed with Ohio State at all, so they really haven't been that close to the playoff because, really, you've got to beat Ohio State to get to the playoff. And and Michigan's that, – that's almost the problem with Michigan, right? That it's not that Michigan hasn't been at its best. It's that Michigan's best is still not good enough. Michigan has had some up years, but their up is still quite a bit short, not just of Tier 1 but of Tier 2. That's where I think the real issue is. Offensive line question from the 419. Um, this person uh, said, they, Nathan Baird, they love you, but they want you to do some research on Mirror Lake. Did you read this? Uh, yeah, I just, it's, yeah. I mean, literally, that was the first time I had, I had experienced Mirror Lake. So uh, I will do said research, and um, I'll, next time it comes up, I will have a better perspective on things yeah it's quite it made me realize it's really quite a shame sort of how this all went down with the mirror lake thing because it's like well they haven't done the mirror lake thing in a couple years but again the people listening to this know this it's like i used to go down to the mirror lake jump on the you know the michigan week i remember seeing like trail prior down there bundled up in a parka you know like the football players weren't jumping in but they were all hanging out like that was quite a deal and i guess i understand why they had to get rid of it because it got dangerous for some people and you can't have kids getting hurt um and there was a very serious incident there, but that was that was really quite a thing, and it was very cool. And I wish, I wish they could have found a way to sort of jerry rig it to save it in one way or another. But anyway, back to the question from the four one nine: Does our offensive line this year have the chance to be historically good? And can you break down some packages and looks that a solid offensive line allows you to run, whereas one that is lagging does not allow you to do that? Stephen, what's your characterization for how good this offensive line might be? Well, it has the opportunity to be one of the best lines in the country, just like it was last season. Wyatt Davis choosing to come back, which I didn't think he would do, and Josh Myers back as well, helps that there. Mumford's your veteran. And then your left guard is going to be a top 50 recruit in Harry Miller. And that right tackle spot, you're either going to have a 
top 10 recruit in 2018 or you're going to have a top 10 recruit from 2020 there. So, yeah, it, they were one of the best offensive lines in the country in 2019 with a bunch of veterans and some five-star guys. And once again, they're going to have one of the best lines in the country with a bunch of veterans and a couple five-star guys for young. I'd like to go back and do some research as to how many other offensive lines, I guess, in Ohio State history and even nationally have had, like how many, what's the record for the number of top, of first three rounds of the NFL draft that you had on one offensive line at one time? Because it's not going to all happen at once because you've got a wide range of ages here, but that's something that could eventually happen for maybe this offensive line. I don't know if all five of them, maybe Thayer Munford, just with his age and some of the issues he's had, I don't know if he would be that high, but a lot of these other guys, uh, Davis, Myers, Miller, um, you know, Paris Johnson, if he were to take that spot, maybe even Nicholas Petit Frere, if, if his, if his career is, if the trajectory is happening now, I mean, th- th- all those guys have that kind of ceiling probably. Um, so that's, that's, that's something to think about because you think of how good of last year's offensive line was, and I don't know if any of those guys are going to be first three rounds. Um, Jonah Jackson maybe, but um, he may be the only one until I guess except you include Davis and, and Myers potentially eventually in that conversation. So I do think um, athle- athleticism is really I think the differentiating factor of when an offensive line goes from good to great because um, you can be connected, you can be smart, you can be tough, you can be physical. That helps a lot in the run game. And a lot of the pass protection, you know, especially when you have a quarterback like Justin Fields who can get out of trouble if you if you miss something. You know, I, I'm not trying to downplay pass pro, but it's like if you can slide your feet a little bit and get in the way of guys, you know, they're not facing Miles Garrett every week. They're not facing Ohio State defensive ends every week. So I, I think this – this offensive line can be different because I think like Wyatt Davis is such a good athlete. And I think Josh Myers is like a really good athlete at center. And I think Harry Miller's a really good athlete. Nicholas Petit Frere, if he wins that job, Paris Johnson, you know, I think Thayer Munford with his back issues, maybe is a little bit limited athletically. Um, but what it allows you to do, I think, is get more creative in the run game. Uh, Landis and I used to talk back in the day, three, four years ago, all the time about just like we, we've talked about on this podcast, those athletic guards, when you can get out and a guard can pull, um, it allows you to do some stuff in the interior with some power runs. You get a guard out in front. You have a guard um, coming across and then looking for a linebacker. Billy Price, Pat Elfline, some of those guys were really good athletes at guard. It takes your it takes your run game to the next level. And I think some of this wide zone stuff that a lot of people are doing, you need offensive tackles who can get out and move. You need You need talented, athletic guys at tackle who can get out and run wide and, and lead you somewhere. And so I think when Ryan day has a belief, you know, again, offensive linemen always want to run the ball, but a lot of that is just like plow over the guy in front of you. And Ohio state offensive lines almost always can do that, especially in the big 10, especially against, you know, mediocre big 10 teams. But when you get these athletes and I do think this offensive line could be really athletic, I think it's going to allow Ryan day to dial some stuff up, stuff up in the run game and get more creative. And again, if, if we've been saying for weeks that Trey Sermon and Marcus Crowley and Master Teague and some of these guys aren't necessarily at a J.K. Dobbins, Ezekiel Elliott level, some creativity in the run game is going to help. And you get some of these athletic offensive linemen out there. That's going to be a big deal. Um, a couple more things we want to get to before this Clemson discussion. Apparently, uh, Ohio State did an April Fool's Day trick. Did you guys see this? I'm Ryan, yeah, with, now, yeah. with, with Coach Mick here. <laughs> Ryan Day tweeted out, we had a team meeting today, and Coach Mick gave his farewell to the team. want to thank him for everything he has done for Ohio State, um, which is kind of funny because Alabama's 
strength coach actually did leave to go be mm-hmm. an on-field coach. Um, I just thought we usually do offense, or excuse me, April Fool's jokes at our house. We did it one time to our, our youngest daughter to the extent like we woke her up early on a school day. We gave her frozen cereal that was like frozen in the bowl. And like by the third thing we did to her, she said, this is too much. Um, we like April Fool's Day. It's, is anyone doing April Fool's Day? I feels like the world no. and the country is not in a place today to do April Fool's. So it's this, not, you no. know, this Brian Day thing was posted at about 1245. Um, he, he posted the video of the, the Coach Mick thing. And that's the first April Fool's thing I've seen today. And I'm very grateful about that. I was really glad not to be seeing a bunch of of, uh, crap this morning. Yeah, no, I I think we're all just ready to get out of the house. And, you know, so whenever that may be. April Fools, don't leave your house for two months. Ha ha. Um, And the second thing is uh, Caleb Wesson tweeted 20 minutes ago, was recording this about Mm -hmm. 1 o'clock on Wednesday, that he is – going to declare um, for the for the NBA draft. And he says, I intend to sign with an agent to help with this process. So the issue is when you sign with the agent, that means you can't come back. He, he didn't say I have signed with an agent. He says, I intend to sign with an agent. But Stephen, this sounds basically like, like Caleb is officially gone, right? Yeah, he – He's not coming back. There's, there's no. He's he's not going to be able to improve his draft. He can still come back as long as he's has gotten rid of the agent by a certain deadline, which can get a little funky this year because of our current situation. But yeah, he's he's not coming back, guys. He's he's off to the NBA. But like, do you? Are you just saying that because that's what we all assume? I think. Or do you know something? There isn't much more for his draft stock to improve on as an NBA player at this point. He is what he is. He can shoot it really well. Okay, we've done He's that a, before. We understand. We don't yeah. have to rehash what Caleb. Oh, yeah, everybody that's all, that's, knows what Caleb Wesson is. So yeah, that's all it is. The news is, but the news is that he can sign with an agent. But the rule is, if you then disassociate yourself with an agent by the certain time, you still could come back. Correct. Okay. All right. So he made that official. All the stuff that we've all been assuming and talking about for a while. So we'll see. We'll see how that uh, how that works out for him. Uh, someone asked, uh, have you ever considered doing the podcast and having a video with it? Um, I kind of like what Letterman Row is doing now. Letterman Row often does their podcast sort of in video form and they put it on YouTube. Um, we are starting to do some things. And I was talking to one of our videographers the other day that we record this on Zoom and there is a video option with Zoom. We just don't normally use it. We're starting to maybe do some videos um, where we would be remote do it like this, but then our videographer would record the Zoom video and kind of make it look nice and put it on our YouTube account. Our YouTube account doesn't have much popping at the moment. Um, I don't know that people want to watch our our heads for two hours, but what do you think is the best path for us forward, Nathan, on making some of this podcast stuff work on video? I think people do want to watch our heads for two hours. I think they want to go back to the last time we were doing stand-up videos and then compare them to if we did one next week, how long our hair is. And then when this goes on for another two months, how long is our hair at that point? Um, I used to have earlier, younger, in my younger days, really long hair. So um, it would be interesting if I am able to get back to that point, um, like my, my, my high school uh, sort of hairstyle. But um, I think that would be, that alone would, I think, fascinate people. 
I'm currently fascinated by you with long hair. What do you mean long hair? Like yeah, headbanger hair or like a mullet? We talking, Tre- we talking Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, um, I mean, not quite that long. I wouldn't. I would not. I would not. I would, probably was not as long as Lawrence. Um, but but fairly long. Did and it probably, touch your collar? Did it touch your collar? Yes. Did you have the beard during this time? No, I didn't grow the beard until I was in my thirties. So how old were you when the so, when the hair was this long? Like um like high school, like sixteen, seventeen, around in there. Okay. Can we get a photo of that? Probably yeah. not. No? Um, probably not. I <laughs> every year when it came to baseball season, I would have to like take a hat to the woman who cut my hair and say, All right, because I already have a huge head. So it's like piling a bunch of hair on top of that made it really tough to fit into like the baseball hats that we had back then. So I had to be like, Hey, my hat, my head needs to fit in this. What can we do? And, uh, she would go to work. Okay. I still want to see a photo. Okay. While we're on the life and times of Nathan Baird, can you update us on your dog or do you not want to talk about it? <laughs> no. Um, I, I actually tweeted it out something about him this morning because, um, Steve Paulette had, had written something about his dog and about what that means for us all right now and and uh we um we had a dog when we moved here to columbus but she was she was very old and she passed away in uh january february so um we were always saying my my fiance and i were saying well we're going to get one after the wedding but there's too much stuff going on between now and then and then she has a friend who is like runs a shelter and who was leaning on her to take one of these puppies that they had had come in and um we got our arm twisted and so first week of March, we drove to Indiana and met them halfway and picked up this dog and we named him Toby and he's awesome. He's like a little, um, poodle. We know he's a poodle mix. We think there's some golden retriever in there or something like that. People can see the photo that I tweeted out. And, um, I've tweeted some other photos, but he's fantastic. He's been, he's got a lot of energy. He's very loving. Um, but the second day we had him, He's also very fast. <laughs> and the second day we had him, he like darted past me as I was had opened the back door and tripped on something, fell off the back porch and broke his leg. So he's been um we've been kind of dealing with that through this whole coronavirus thing. It's like um it's 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 a lot of work having a puppy to begin with and then now we have to like he actually gets around pretty well. It's like he doesn't know he's hurt, but um he had some, some, just, we have to like carry him outside and we can't take him on long walks and there's some other things that go into it, some medications and stuff. But, um, it, it's been great to have him because he's, um, just got a lot of affection and he's, um, an adorable little guy. And, uh, it's, it's been a good distraction when otherwise you're dealing with a lot of anxiety or boredom or whatever around the house. But so you've lived in Columbus, you've lived in Ohio for less than a year yes. and one dog died and one dog broke its leg. That's correct. Okay. We are monitoring you at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the good of the canine population in Ohio. Um, well, that's good. Dogs are good. Um, okay. We're going to get ready. I want to go over the bracket really quick because if you guys are following our favorite modern football Buckeye bracket, we are finally done with the first round. We have 32 winners from the first round. We have moved into the second round. The voting in the second round just went out to our tech subscribers on Wednesday morning. Again, this is four regions. We are finding the favorite modern football Buckeye from 2001 through 2019. 
They are divided by coach and side of the ball. So there's a Jim Trestle, Luke Fickle offense region, a Jim Trestle, Luke Fickle defense region, an Urban Meyer, Ryan Day offense region, and an Urban Meyer, Ryan Day defense region. As it turns out, and I assume you guys have been following this to some degree, there were no upsets in the first round. In the eight, nine games, the eight seed won twice and the nine seed won twice, but that was it. The ones, twos, threes, fours, five, sixes, and sevens all won. No upsets. I thought Kenny Guyton as a 10 might have a chance to upset Curtis Samuel as a seven in the most recent voting. That didn't come close to happening. In general, are you guys surprised that there weren't any upsets here, or does that sort of make sense that it's like, well, everybody has sort of the same kind of favorites? No, I think I was a little surprised that there weren't any upsets just because people who may have been your favorites in the moment, things might have flipped for you now that you've had some time to breathe, especially with these people, especially when you look at the Trestle era, just because we're 10 years removed from that. And then early on in the Urban Meyer era, you you know, there's always room for upsets. Yeah, I mean, this this isn't a criticism of anything, but I, I, my understanding was that you kind of took potential favorites into how you seeded the teams, yeah. the, the brackets. So if you had instead maybe seeded it just in terms of accomplishment and left out any potential um, factor of whether they were a more favorite player or not, that's where the upsets could have happened. But I think it also makes sense to seed them according to who the most favorite are. Really, I don't – I mean, it's 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 – I think there might be some upsets here in the second round. I think this is where it gets maybe a little bit more interesting because you, you, because there's obviously some of the guys in this first round too who were only on this list because they had some, some favorite status attached to them for just being go getters or, or having one moment or whatever. Now it's going to be more like some really tough decisions are going to be in people's laps here going forward. This is all heavyweights now. It's 32 heavyweights who are left. And and if you haven't been paying attention, I'm going to run through it very quickly. Again, if you want to vote, be a tech subscriber. The tech subscribers are the ones who get the vote. I send out matchups. You just reply to me. I sit in my big blue chair with my yellow legal pad, and I have a very good time adding things up. These are the 16 matchups in round two. Troy Smith versus Santonio Holmes. Beanie Wells versus Craig Krenzel. Michael Jenkins versus Maurice Claret, Terrell Pryor versus Ted Ginn Jr. Chase Young versus Marshawn Lattimore. Malik Hooker versus Nick Bosa. That might be the best one. Ryan Shazier versus Jeff Okuda. Joey Bosa versus Raekwon McMillan. A.J. Hawk versus John Simon. Chris Gamble versus Malcolm Jenkins. That's another great 4-5. Mike Doss versus Cam Hayward. James Laurinaitis versus Will Smith. Ezekiel Elliott versus J.K. Dobbins. J.T. Barrett versus Cardale Jones. That one I'm so interested in. Justin Fields versus Dwayne Haskins. Also very interested. (laughs) And Braxton Miller versus Curtis Samuel. So I had talked on our intro podcast on this that I was going to make J.T. Barrett versus Cardale Jones an eight versus a nine because I really wanted that matchup, and I thought there were reasons that maybe they shouldn't be too high. But then I really thought about it, and it's like these are the two quarterbacks that won a national championship and I thought eight versus nine was too low. So Barrett beat Evan Spencer in his first-round matchup. Cardale Jones beat Carlos Hyde in his first-round matchup, and now we get Cardale Jones versus JT Barrett in the second round. Is there any matchup that really jumps out to you guys among those second-round matchups? I mean, the the ones you mentioned jump out at me, you know, Fields against Haskins. um, That would be interesting. 
you know, uh, I think Dobbins Elliott is interesting, but Elliott's going to win that on the land side probably. Um, the ones you mentioned, I think, are the ones. You know, I thought it was looking at, at the voting that came in over the texts. It was interesting to me that the ones where people were saying, "Oh, that's that's such a tough decision," but everybody's still voting for the same winner. I think in this next round, there's going to be some real, really, really tough choices that people have to make. Yeah, I think the most interesting ones, Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, were just because, let's be honest here, those those two have just had the best two individual se- seasons of quarterbacks ever had at Ohio State. It, it's still kind of, it's still fresh. So they both have that recency bias going for them. Who would you – I ended up making Justin Fields the three seed, Dwayne Haskins the six seed, and then Barrett and Cardale were in between them. Who would you guys have seeded higher, Justin Fields or Dwayne Haskins? Fields because he got to the playoff. Ah, they both, you know, they both finished favorites. third in the Heisman. They both if finished taking, third in the Heisman. If you're taking favorite status into it, you've got as much as Fields did last year, Haskins not only had like kind of a, a this this record setting passing season and was a Buckeye from day one. Maybe that would have probably maybe been the tiebreaker for me as far as seeding. And that's interesting. I think that's part of it. Like Dwayne Haskins also, like people wanted him to play earlier when they were getting mm-hmm. sick of JT. Um, but I also sort of factored in the idea that like, well, Dwayne only had one year as a starter. Justin has one year. So that's equal. Plus Justin has what he still can do. And so there's sort of with Justin, you're almost voting on the like what might be coming up. So, um, but I'm excited to see how that goes in the second round Haskins versus Fields. Uh, all right. So here's. Um, where we want to get start getting into the Clemson Michigan discussion, and we're going to take a break, but but I want to introduce this first because a couple texters helped prod this discussion about Clemson. Um, Alan Kitchen, loyal listener and follower, on March 11th texted at us as a friend of the podcast. Can I just say I officially hate Clemson more than Michigan? <laughs> Not really, but it's closer than any school ever has been. So that sort of spurred my interest in sort of like how feel pe- people feel about Clemson. And then we got this long one from the 937 back in the middle of March. Recently subscribed friend of the pod here. After mooching for months, the free podcasts, which make my job as a traveling sales rep much more tolerable. Um, in your opinion, why has Clemson been so dominant the past few years despite having recruiting classes that struggle to break into the top 10 and that have, ha- that have had so few signees in recent years? Is their player development that much better than schools with higher-ranked recruiting classes? Is their coaching staff's prep and game management that much better? Is it a simple matter of them having had a couple of all-time great quarterbacks and a historically great defensive line? I'm very concerned that they will become increasingly dominant now that appears that they'll have top five recruiting classes every year. If Ohio State couldn't beat them with what was clearly a superior roster, why should we be confident that we'll be able to do so with roster parity or even roster inferiority to Clemson? That, I thought, was such a deep, interesting Clemson-Ohio State question. And then we got one more along these lines from the 614. Has Clemson overtaken Michigan as Ohio State's biggest rival? Um, that is where we are headed with this. We're going to take a break, but as we lead into it, Nathan, just when we started the idea of, hey, we're going to do a heavy Clemson pod, what did you think? Like, Doesn't it feel like there's like, like a lot to dive into here? 
There is, yeah, and I was we we kind of traded some questions amongst ourselves that are sort of the structure of what we're going to talk about in this next segment, and um, each one of them I could give you multiple answers for probably. Um, I think there is a lot here, and it, it's just it, it's interesting how um, if you had told people ten years ago that Ohio State and Clemson were going to have this trajectory where they are deciding the path that each eventually takes in the playoff or, or, or that's how a season is going to be defined is how Ohio state does against Clemson. Like imagine saying that to, to an Ohio state fan when Tommy Bowden was coaching there, um, that this would be like a year in year out thing. I, I think it would have blown people's minds and it's, it's fascinating to kind of watch these, these national rivalries creep up in college football every once in a while. Steven, do you think it makes sense for an Ohio state podcast to be this interested in the Clemson Tigers? Yes, 100%, for a multitude of reasons. One, this might be the national championship game if there's a college football season next year. And because of what Clemson has done to Ohio State the last two, last two times they played them, not to, not to mention the first time they played them at the beginning of the decade when they lost in the, in the Orange Bowl. So, yes, it, it, this, if, if as an Ohio State podcast, if we're going to focus on any other national team, it's going to be Clemson. All right, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. We appreciate you guys listening here on Buckeye Talk. Make sure you're reading our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. Um, get ready for the daily pods. This is the big Wednesday one, but I think we're going to start this Thursday um, with daily pods, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and the big one every Wednesday. So get ready for that. It'll all be showing up in your regular uh, podcast feed, so make sure you are subscribed to Buckeye Talk so you don't miss any. Drop a review on Apple Podcasts if you want to check in and tell us what you think of uh, how the podcasts have been going. And again, if you want to be part of all this, try the text. Send the text for a 14-day free trial to 614-350-3315. So we will be back on Buckeye Talk with should Ohio State fear Clemson? Should they be jealous of Clemson? Should they hate Clemson? What do Ohio State fans think of Clemson and what do we think of them? That's next on Buckeye Talk. All right, welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and Dabo Sweeney. You're going to hear Dabo's name a lot in the next hour or so um, because we're going to talk about the Clemson Tigers in the context of the Ohio State Buckeyes because we don't care about Clemson just how they exist. We care about Clemson because I think a lot of us on this podcast and listening to this podcast, assume that Clemson will continue to be part of Ohio State's football life for the near future. And they have certainly been a very interesting part of it in the recent past. So I put this call out to our tech subscribers and just sort of said, like, what do you think about Clemson? Do you dislike them? Do you respect them? Are you jealous of them? Do you fear them? Do you want to be them? Do you, you know, do you not think of them at all? And we got so many good responses back. There are some really good thinkers and writers in our tech subscribers. And we out there out there listening. So um, we appreciate that. So we're going to run through some of these. And then Stephen and Nathan and I will react to all of this. I picked out a, a couple off the top. One from the 919. I respect Clemson, but I don't hate them yet. I am jealous of their relatively sudden success. I am jealous of their great coaching and game preparation. They made very few mistakes against Ohio State, did not panic when they were behind by 16 points, picked on slow Ohio State linebackers with their quarterback scramble, and beat a superior Ohio State team. I fear Clemson because they beat Ohio State with an average Clemson team and have the number one recruiting classes in the future. From the 412, 
I have extremely mixed feelings about Clemson. I hate them, respect them, want to avoid them, but also want to beat them. The only thing that will make these feelings go away is getting revenge on the field. Until that happens, I'll probably continue flip-flopping. And then I wanted to get to this one from the 704. We have a lot, we got a lot of responses from people who live in South Carolina. There are Buckeye Talk listeners in South Carolina that have a sort of a different perspective uh, on Clemson. And we also have this listener and tech subscriber. I went to Clemson undergrad and to Ohio State for vet school. So I am pretty biased. I love both schools and it is painful when they play each other. I am proud that both of the schools that I love are highly ranked and have excellent programs. I know that Buckeye fans are passionate about beating the Tigers and I'm sure they will get that chance again soon if this year unfolds as expected. As with Alabama, hate for a program is usually based upon deep respect and competitiveness, which I think both fan bases have. I think the rivalry, not hate, is great for both programs. I just hate the turmoil I experience when they play each other. I can't even wear T-shirts for the games. Um, so I guess my view is pretty skewed from the norm. Really appreciate Buckeye Talk, though, even when you trash the Tigers. So, Stephen, that idea off the start from that 704 texter, Hate for a program is usually based upon deep respect and competitiveness. We're going to get into all the different emotions here, but do you imagine that most Ohio State fans have that underlying respect and competitiveness based on the recent history with Clemson that then maybe leads to everything else? Yes, because unlike with the Michigan, it's been the last time, two two of the last three times they played, it was fairly competitive outside of 2016, of course. But it is based in, in that. But it's also based in, just let's just be honest here, Clemson took Ohio State's spot in the hierarchy of things. And when you initially sent out the call for this uh, for this topic, one of the early responses is they, they compared it to Steph Curry and the Warriors and and their kind of rise along with like what Cleveland had going on when they had LeBron. And that makes a, it made a lot of sense because when you really think about it, LeBron comes back to Cleveland and all of a sudden the Cavaliers are great again. Cleveland's going to win a championship. And then out of nowhere, here's this small little kid who's perfect and shooting all over the place. And he's got this team who's winning 73 games. And all of a sudden they take, the shine away from what was supposed to be Cleveland's time, Ohio, for that all sense and purposes, because you know, we're a Cleveland-based outlet. Took took their spot, took their shine, and all of a sudden Stephen Curry goes from this this cool little kid from Davidson who was a feel-good story to if you're a Cleveland fan, you hate everything about Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green's existence. You hate everything about it the cute little story that he was. Well, he's not so cute anymore because he just beat you guys in the finals three t- three out of four times. And it's the same thing with Clemson. Dabo Sweeney was this cute little story of a guy who was the wide receiver coach who took over for a failing Clemson program halfway through the season and ended up, you know, getting the job long-term. And he turned this program around into something special and something pretty decent for an ACC team. And then the Orange Bowl rolls around and they beat Ohio State in that. And then in 2016, they really beat Ohio State and you know, took over that spot as here are the top two teams in, in college football. It was supposed to be Alabama and with with Nick Saban and Urban Meyer with Ohio State. Well, now it's Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. And then they go get – how do they top it? They go get the number one rated quarterback in high school 
football history, and he wins the national championship as a true freshman. So now they, they and they wiped the floor with Alabama along the way. So now they're probably the top program in college football, and they're everything Ohio State was supposed to be. And then here comes 2019. Ohio State goes against Justin Fields, and this is their time to redeem some of those things. And because of some the, some calls and some and some mistakes by Ohio State. Clemson kept that spot. So it's it's very similar to what Cleveland fans felt with when they had LeBron James on the Cavaliers to what Ohio State fans are going through right now with Clemson. So I made like 10 categories for this discussion, and Stephen just answered them all. So I think we're done. Right. <laughs> it's like ask Stephen a specific question about Ohio State Clemson, and Stephen's answer is, here is the history of Clemson Ohio State. Uh, that 704 responder about – the Warriors, and I did think that was a good comparison. It's kind of similar to the Warriors' Steph Curry out of nowhere rise. Um, I respect Clemson, how they essentially went from being the team that underwhelmed in big games to a national power dynasty. Um, and that is, I think, interesting in, in all sports is you are who you are, but who you have to beat to get where you want to go is like a huge part of that. And so, Nathan, I think, like, does that make sense of – to me, that's why we're talking about Clemson because – when you're trying to win it all, you have to look at who is out there in your way. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Clemson is relevant to Ohio State football fans 365 days a year, and South Carolina is never relevant. Um, they've put themselves in that place where that, if you are one of the other great programs, you you have to be conscious of what they're doing. What are they doing in recruiting? What are they doing on the transfer market? Um, you know, is somebody leaving early? Is, is their coach potentially leaving somewhere else? I mean, that's all of those things are sort of headline developments in Columbus, Ohio, because the, 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 the standards that Ohio State has, those are the teams that they're going to eventually see in late December, early January, if things go according to plan. All right. So there, there are multiple things here that, that we want to get into this. I, 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 this brought out some rants. In people, and you guys know that I love rants. So I also want to give people time to rant a little bit from the 813. I absolutely hate Clemson with all my heart. I do respect them as a powerhouse, but other than that team up north, there is no school I hate more than Clemson. We've never beaten them in football. Woody lost his job because of Clemson when he most certainly did nothing wrong, just trying to pull some turf out of that Clemson player's face mask. That's <laughs> I hate the shade Dabo has seemed to consistently throw at the Buckeyes. And to be completely honest, I don't really like Trevor Lawrence. He's an unbelievable player and it's probably warranted, but the cocky smirk he always wears drives me bananas. And my heart swells every time he throws a pick. I think they're an excellent team, but it certainly helps that they play FCS grade schools and conference and therefore never have the tough stretches where the likelihood of wearing down your team is much lower. I think it very much affected Ohio State's performance in the playoffs as the Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin stretch injured fields and overall wore down the team. As Russell Brandt says, there's a layer of respect, admittedly, but it's peppered with hate, hateful respect from the 813. I love that rant. There's a lot of layers to that. Yeah. One of the things here, and we have several responses on this, and Stephen, I'll just start with you on this idea. There are a lot of people who are shifting some of their natural Michigan hate to Clemson. Do you get that? I do get it. Because of the way Ohio State has lost to Clemson in the past. But also <laughs> – the Trevor Lawrence part of that, right, as I think the most beautiful part of it, because 
when you really hate something, you find things that aren't really a problem about somebody and you make them a problem. Trevor Lawrence is an upstanding human being. Like he just got approved to be able to raise money for coronavirus. There's like, but because of the competitive hatred you have for him, you start to find things that maybe are a problem and you make them a problem. But yeah, the way Ohio State has lost to Clemson, especially the last two times, you get embarrassed on a national stage in 2019. And I think that's what's, that's where the hatred comes from. It's one thing to lose to a team, but also the way Ohio State's been using, losing to them can kind of fuel it, – it goes from a respectful national rivalry, I guess we can call it, to I really hate this team and I want nothing but terrible things to happen to everybody involved with that program. From the 937, and this person sent me a picture of this, I have a playlist on Spotify with all of the saddest, most wrenching songs. The album cover for that playlist is Clemson celebrating the 31 nothing win over Ohio State in the playoff in 2016. I hate them right behind Michigan. Um, I They sent me that playlist, and that, in fact, is what they have is that cover. Um, this person says, Clemson is the program that I now dislike more than Michigan due to Michigan being inferior in coaching roster talent and that they pose no threat to Ohio State. I will say after the 2019 Fiesta Bowl, I really want to beat Clemson on the way to a national championship. Don't, don't get me wrong. I would take a national championship regardless, but it would be so much sweeter going through Dabo and Clemson. Nathan, I mean, you know, you're, you're new to Ohio State fans within the last year. Does it make any sense to you, the idea of, man, there might be a team I hate more than Michigan as an Ohio State fan? Sure, because going back now, however many years, the Michigan game, as much as it means to the program, as much as it means to the fans, has not really had any bearing on the outcome of Ohio State season in a lot of ways. Um, whereas the Clemson game, I mean, let's go back to, to 2016. I mean, I think that is where the hate really comes from. Um, to, to get be in that way by that margin and to be kind of deflated like that and to maybe be a little bit slapped in the face with where your program really is relative to the that upper tier of college football and where you sit either in that or on the outside looking in. I think that was maybe the, the, the toughest thing to deal with. And that has probably lingered for Ohio State fans only because they haven't been able to come up with the win against Clemson or anybody else that completely wipes that away. A uh, couple more on this, and, and it's building up to a point that I helped me get – the texters helped me flesh this out. From the 910, I respect the product that Clemson puts on the field. As a younger generation fan of Ohio State that doesn't know or remember the 90s, I would care more about playing Clemson on our way to a national title than playing Michigan. Until Michigan can prove it can do enough to beat Ohio State – and the gap seems to be widening, then it's just a different level when it comes to Clemson at this moment. Michigan isn't going to stop Ohio State, but Clemson obviously can from the 9-1-0. I thought that was great. From the 2-1-6, I hate Clemson, and I think they're overrated. For reference, I'm a graduate of Ohio State in my early 30s. The only team I hate more is Michigan. I can understand for non-students or for people who didn't grow up rooting for Ohio State if they hate another team more than Michigan. I feel like my parents' generation will always hate Michigan for the long years of drought against them. And that leaked into my own Ohio State fandom. Being a student at Ohio State and going to all the home games, I could see that the hatred runs deep. It makes it all that much more fun. 
But due to more recent years and events, Clemson is second for me only to Michigan. Um, here's where I think the comparison and that makes this different. Not many programs kick Ohio State's butt. And it's tough to lose a game here or there. You know, the Michigan State loss in 2015. Um, you know, the Iowa and Purdue losses. It's hard to lose to a team once. But when a team consistently beats you when it matters, that's when I think hate really grows. And so there's a generation of Ohio State fans in the Woody and Bo years, the 10-year war, Michigan did beat Ohio State consistently, but it was a coin flip every year. And you were always scared of Michigan, and they beat you half the time, right? Then the John Cooper era, you get your butt kicked by Michigan all the time. There's an, there's an entire generation that didn't know what it was like to really beat Michigan. Now, this modern generation, all Ohio State does is beat Michigan. And the only team that then can compare to that, to the I hate them because we can't beat them, is Clemson. Because Ohio State has never beaten Clemson. And so that's where I think the Clemson-Michigan comparison here is so interesting. Because this younger generation of fans, they don't know what it's like to have a Michigan team that you can't beat. They assume that you beat Michigan, but they do know what it's like to have a Clemson team that you can't beat. Do you get that? That idea of I hate you because I can't beat you, and the only team that applies to right now for Ohio State fans is the Clemson Tigers. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's what I was saying before. I mean, I think um, it's it's having a loss like that still lingering out there, the 31 to nothing game, and then – and then seeing Clemson be able to stay up at that level and keep winning and keep getting in the playoffs, you know, perpetually, whereas Ohio State just kind of jumped in and out and then getting finally back into the playoffs with Clemson and then losing again the way they did. It has just seemed like a it keeps a a a level of achievement at arm's length. And Clemson is the team that's doing that to Ohio State right now. But part of it is the modern thing of college football that, again, I you know, when I covered um the Clemson-Ohio State Orange Bowl at the end of the 2013 season, all we did was write about the Woody Gator Bowl from 78. Because that was really the only Ohio State-Clemson history at that point. Mm -hmm. Then you had this 2013 game where Braxton gets hurt, and then the 16 blowout, and now the way they lost in 2019, that this playoff era does allow you to have national rivals. Because, but, to, but to hate a team – you have to, it has to be consistent enough. And that's where I think this has been so interesting and why I think it will continue is that the playoff allows this. And I don't know if Clemson's going anywhere. I don't think Ohio State's going anywhere. Stephen, are you, as we continue this discussion, are you just assuming that this will continue to grow because Clemson and Ohio State will continue to play each other? I think so. Yeah, they're going to be in each other's, each other's way when it comes to the playoff year going for Ohio State. The recruiting classes of Ohio State is putting together, the recruiting classes Clemson's putting together, and the programs that Dabo Sweeney has built and Urban Meyer has built and Ryan Day has clearly sustained. Neither of these teams are going to go anywhere, and so it's going to build on that rivalry, especially if if Clemson continues to be the thing that Ohio State can't get through like they have the last three times they've played. From the 614, I'm in the minority, but every week I watch Ohio State, I'm looking to see how they compare to Bama or Clemson. Michigan barely enters my mind. 
Uh, this person from the 480 says, I 60% respect Clemson, 40% hate for Clemson. I may have feared them a bit in the past when we played them because we didn't have complete teams. This year we were the superior team, no longer afraid we can't compete or beat them. Beating Penn State, Clemson, Alabama are tops on my list every year. Michigan is barely on my radar. Part of this, I think, factors in, too, is that if you – if Michigan's always going to be like the greatest rival of the Ohio State players and coaches as long as they keep emphasizing it. But for the for the fans experiencing it, Nathan, it feels like to me maybe Ohio State fans are looking for someone to hate because it's fun to have a rival. And if you feel like Michigan's not really a rival, it's like, well, then where are you going to go? I mean, that's the other half of this. It's like it. we can talk about how Clemson has taken this spot as if it's an achievement for Clemson, but in a lot of ways, it's just a failure for Michigan. They failed to stay up at Ohio State's level, really even contend for that level. Um, it's, it's you know, Ohio State, I'll give them some credit for the coaching staff for kind of keeping its eye on the ball and and making that game such a priority year in and year out, when in reality, Michigan, as we talked about in an earlier segment, is at a, a, a distant tier against even some of what the other teams that Ohio State has to play in the Big Ten are year in and year out. So that's that's really the other half of this. You know, Michigan hasn't lived up to its end of the bargain as far as making this one of the best rivalries in college football. Um, and, and I do think there is part of this where, like, you're, naturally, as a fan, you do look for adversaries and you look for that team that um, you get to hate. And I think Michigan has fallen off. They don't deserve Ohio State fans' hate as much just based on what they're doing as a program right now. And it's certainly in the way that they're playing against Ohio State when they happen to meet every year. I could totally see that as a T-shirt, like Michigan, you don't deserve our hate. Like how that's ruthless, right? That it's like you don't even we don't even bother to hate you anymore because you're irrelevant. Um, from the nine one seven, one word, nemesis, Woody, Braxton in thirteen, embarrassing shutout in sixteen, Jackson Carmen, then the loss the past season. More relevant than Michigan. We are their little brother right now, and until we prove ourselves, that will continue to be the case. All the venom I used to have for Michigan is now aimed at Clemson. I hate the color orange. Won't wear it. The road to redemption is through them and through them only. That idea, right? You can't wear blue in the Woody. What if you couldn't wear orange? Steven, should they ban orange in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center? I mean, they've already got the score of the – Fiesta Bowl up in the, the weight room, so why not go take it a step further at this point and say if you wear an orange in here, you're going to be banned as well. And it, hey, you might as well cross out the C. The C's all over the place when you get to the playoffs next year. Man, crossing out the C's. I mean, I like, and I did a big story several years ago when they had trouble with Michigan State of like, hey, should you not wear a green and that kind of thing. And, and again, it's so ingrained. I don't know that it's ever going to stop being ingrained um, in Ohio State's ethos to hate Michigan but I think Nathan your point of like you don't deserve our hate um is so interesting from the 813 I absolutely despise Clemson I hate their fans their colors and most especially I despise Dabo with a passion they are an elite program right now but their fans and their coach complain about how nobody respects them and how nobody thinks they are any good um dude you guys have won two national championships in the playoff era nobody is doubting you so please shut up Dabo reminds me of Hugh Freeze, who's the sort of disgraced former Ole Miss coach. On the surface, such a humble, good old religious man, but deep down is shady like everyone else in college athletics. The one thing I think Ryan Day should take from Dabo is finding a way to keep his coaching staff intact for a long period of time. I believe that's the difference in sustaining success. 
Alabama all of a sudden stopped winning title after title once Kirby Smart left, and they had so much turnover on staff. Rant over from the 813. A great rant, and let's transition to that part of this discussion because that's a big part of it. The texters made this clear. Steven, you sort of jumped in there. Part, a big chunk of this is Dabo. However you feel about Clemson, a lot of it, I think, from the outside is Dabo-fueled what people really think about that guy. Yeah. At one point, you were the underdog, and nobody believed in you. But everybody believes in Clemson these days. Like, they're favorite to win the national championship until they aren't for, for, for the foreseeable future. And yet the way he – he still approaches things as if this is 2011 and nobody knows who he is, and he, or he's still the walk-on at Alabama and so, so on and so forth. And so it, it can be – yeah, from a fan perspective, it's probably really annoying to constantly hear nobody believed in us when everybody believed in you guys. It's no different than when, like, Chase Young would say, oh, this was, we were fueled by the fact that people picked us for – he was – after 2018, the Big Ten Championship game, he was walking around – Lucas Oil Stadium going, they picked us fourth in the big in the Big Ten standings. And I'm like, who picked you guys to be fourth in the Big Ten? Maybe in the country, but not in the in the Big Ten. And that's where it is with Dabo, where you've gone from being a understandable underdog to just annoying and move your conversation forward. From the 330, I think Sweeney is an excellent coach who gets the most out of his players and has a great staff. He's the type of coach who could win with his team or yours. From the 513, my best friend went to Clemson, so I'm kind of sick of them right now. They have things rolling with a solid program, playing in a conference that's terrible. Clemson may play one game a year in which they could lose. I've always viewed Dabo as a used car salesman, and I tired of his act quickly. For a guy who has a top five program year in and year out, he sure whines a lot. Uh, This one I thought from the 614 was good. I respect Clemson like I respect Alabama. Strong dislike for Dabo. I find his shtick completely disingenuous. Saban at least knows he's the villain. Um, one more on Dabo. There's a lot of people. They don't, they don't like this guy. You have to respect Clemson. This is from the 740. You have to respect Clemson as a program for its success, but I can't help but be consistently annoyed by Dabo's aw shucks personality, which is so obviously a facade. Nathan, does Dabo annoy you? Um, a little bit, I suppose. Um, it, it definitely annoyed me last year when he was going through the whole, um, as Steven alluded to before, kind of this aw shucks or this, uh, we don't get no respect or this, um, it, it, as, as if he was sort of protesting the idea that the ACC was a dumpster fire. Um, you know, give them credit for, for plowing through that conference the way they do, but don't try to tell me that you deserve some kind of credit for for winning that conference. Um, it's, it's a, it's kind of a marginally relevant conference in, in college football right now. and would be completely irrelevant if you didn't have this sort of Phoenix rising up out of the middle of it. That is Clemson football. Um, you know, if Clemson wasn't at the tier, it was, it would be, I think considered far and away. I mean, it would, it would be an irrelevant conference in college football right now. So um, I, I think I would respect him and the program a little bit more if they're, if they were doing maybe more in the non-conference to try to offset that or something like that. At the same time, it's not something that um, Ohio State fans can complain about too much until they actually beat Clemson again. From the 937, I don't hate Clemson as much as I find Dabo to be a really fake person. Um, that came through a lot, and 
there's there's part of this um, I think is just super interesting, and it depends how you want to look at it. Dabo is very um, upfront about his faith, and I think that he uses um, that faith to be part of the Clemson football program. And I don't mean uses in a bad way. I mean I think you know that's important to him, and I, he makes it very clear that if if you are a player who your faith is important to you, then you know, he's a coach who's very upfront about that thing. Some people don't like that in general. Some people really like that, but there's certainly an undercurrent that some people in our text group think he uses that. And then, you know, you shouldn't maybe be using religion to recruit, right? And that people get annoyed by that part of it. And so that is like a complicated topic people have written about it in the past. There's a lot of things with public universities and how much that should or should not be part of an athletic program at a public university. But do you think that that's any undercurrent of this, Stephen, that he's so upfront about that, that maybe people would question his sincerity when it comes to that? People doing it, it's not, not surprising that people would do it. That, that's a... Uh... Yeah, I, I would see why people would want to question because of what it's, it's the benefits of it. It hasn't, you know, there hasn't been a downside to him doing it so far. But that's a in a business where in a in, in a business where a lot of it is is building relationships. He's doing it by you know what seems as being himself, and it seems to get a, a positive response from the from recruits and from players. And I think that's his only goal there. But I can understand why somebody would think it would be insincere, given you know. It, such a positive thing to do from the seven doing from the seven three or I don't like Dabo. He went with God's favor after the Ohio state game. I could go on for days about that part of it. Um, I don't feel like he's that much. I mean, that, that, that stuff goes on all the time. It's just, I think he's more than most. I think he's maybe, but uh, I guess I I don't roll my eyes at it any more than, I mean, you can, I, I, if, if I, if Ohio state had won a national championship last year, there would have been somebody in the locker room saying that it was, you know, God's will or something. And um, if you're not going to roll your eyes at one, don't roll your eyes no, at the other. No, but I think it's different. I think it's different when it's a coach compared to a player. And I'm not doubting anybody's sincerity about it, but he is so upfront with it and the way it's part of the program. I, I think it's, di- I mean, of course, players, there are athletes all over the place with deep faith and they cite that faith on a regular basis. But I understand what people are saying of the way he incorporates it in the program. And, um, whether he's sincere or not, the idea of like, is that how you should be like recruiting? You know, and Ohio State does it too. Ohio State does it too. But I, but I do, you don't think Dabo's on a little bit of a different level? Oh, I, I think it might be. I understand what people are saying with that, but I'm also saying that I, I think we, it's one of the, it's just one of those instances where I think people, um, they see it and they feel one way about it when it comes from a one, one outlet and don't feel that way about it when it comes from another outlet. It's more because it's one of the reasons why recruits go there, and they'll, a recruit will openly say that his faith is is something that we've really connected on, and that it's at the top of the list of a lot of reasons why recruits want to go to Clemson. That's why it's worthy. But it needs to be. We need to remind people that that's not going to be a hundred percent of the time. It's going to occasionally turn off a recruit too. Um, you know, if you're a if you're a young uh, Muslim or you're just an atheist or don't really care about. Um, church and religion that may be a reason why you don't want to go 
be at Clemson. So um, I, I'm sure it helps them in recruiting sometimes. I'm sure it doesn't help them in recruiting sometimes. Again, there's a lot of coaches um, that that have deep faith and that make it very public. And we're not questioning anybody's faith, um, but I, we're making the point that there are a certain segment of people and it's opposing fans, you know, but we heard from there's more than a few people who who find that part of it. Um, maybe distasteful isn't the right word, but they just sort of question it a little bit from the 216. There's two factors. There's Dabo and there's Clemson. I kind of hate Dabo. I think he's a big hypocrite, especially from his college players are already too entitled and he would quit if they got paid statements. Nathan, that's a part of him too, yeah. right? Yeah, that, I, no, that, that really turns people yeah. off. I hadn't remembered that in the moment, but yes, that, that may be actually the thing that we should dislike him the most for. I think it's a completely um, callous and um, ridiculous stance to take, and it's also not true. Like he's not going to give up his – seven, eight, whatever, $10 million he makes right now. If you start giving every player on the team, 20 grand like that, that it's just, that's lunacy. It's, it's complete BS. And um, it, it shows someone who is really out of touch with um, just sanity almost. Steven, you didn't like it either, right? No, I don't like that. And that's, to the, you can't have both ways. And, that's a guy who's you know dipping his foot in both airs a little bit. No, no, you can't say that. Um, this one I thought was interesting, and again, it's a matter of how the game has evolved to become more of a national college sport. From the six one nine, I think you have to respect Clemson. If both Dabo and Day stay at their schools, you could see a new 10-year war, but this time between Clemson and Ohio State, not Ohio State and Michigan. Like, in general, that idea, can, in this modern era, especially if the playoff expands and the the best teams just meet each other on a regular basis? You know, Woody Hayes and Bear Bryant couldn't have a rivalry because it was such a regional sport. You just never played anybody. You know, maybe Ohio State and USC could have a rivalry going to the Rose Bowl every year. But for the most part, your rival had to be in your conference because you didn't play anybody else consistently enough. The idea of Dabo and Day having a 10-year war that is anything like Woody and Bo. And again, the whole point of the 10-year war is Woody and Bo played each other 10 years in a row. Um, it was 5-4-1. and one. It was an every-year thing. Clemson and Ohio State aren't going to play each other every year. But Stephen, could it be often enough that that comparison makes sense? Yeah, especially if, as long as Nick Saban's at Alabama and so Dabo Sweeney has no reason to go anywhere. I see that it's definitely happening where in order to win a national championship, there's Clemson sees Ohio State waiting at the, waiting in the playoff and Ohio State sees Clemson waiting in the playoff, especially if they continue to garner talent and develop things the way that they are. Nathan, this is an idea that I'm wondering about. Um, from the 614, this person says – in my opinion, Clemson has surpassed Alabama as the best program in America, and they are what Ohio State should strive to be. Is that part of this, too, that, that clearly Bama was sort of this target for Ohio State, and Bama was clearly the number one team in the country, and then Ohio State got its shot, and in 2014, it won when it got its shot at Bama. Is part of this that Clemson is clearly the best program now do you approach it that way or do you still would you rank like Clemson and Bama sort of equally 
I think if you were to not to get too nebulous with this, but if you were to rank the that elite tier in terms of how they achieved that, what was the most impressive path to being at that elite tier right now? I think Clemson is number one because they don't have the underlying college football historical success that Alabama and Ohio State do. And in a lot of ways, they don't have the same name recognition, or they didn't until Dabo came along. It was just – I was looking it up. I think in, before Dabo came along – I lost my notes. Before Dabo came along – so they won the national championship in 1981 with Danny Ford. Other than that, before Dabo came along, Clemson had never finished a year in the top five. Yeah. So to look at to take that and look at what they're doing now, where they have just sort of because you can I mean these other schools that have had recent surges, whether it's Florida, Texas, USC, all of those schools, maybe it's 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 a little intermittent, but you can go back a decade, twenty years, thirty years, and they had some other pocket of success in there where they were among the best programs in the country. And other than the one kind of outlier year that had never happened for Clemson until now, they have just staked out a position there at the top of college football. So that is, I think, I, I do respect them for that. I mean, Dabo took over a situation. They were having some success with Terry Bowden, um, but they were underperforming. I mean, I think they were supposed to be a top 10 team, maybe supposed to win the ACC. They get a third of the way into the season, halfway into the season. They're not doing anything. So he steps aside. They elevate the wide receivers coach who people weren't that familiar with. And now look at what they're doing. It, it's, it's that part of it is a really impressive story that I think people should respect. And I think, there is something in there that I think another team, not really Ohio State, though, Ohio State, Alabama, that level of team, it's just a different structure. But there's probably some other Clemson out there that hasn't happened yet that can kind of take some cues from what he has done, what Swinney has done there, and, and start building towards some other higher level of success that they've never seen before. I mean, it's crazy to think about. There was a time when the two programs, at least that, that I heard, people make fun of as sort of like being pretenders and chokers on the big stage were Michigan yep. state and Clemson. Yeah. Like Clemsoning was a thing. And like every time Michigan state was good, it was like, yeah, but there's a ceiling on that. So the idea that like it went from Clemsoning to like, Oh, you're the best program in the country is pretty amazing. Uh, for the three, three Oh, I have respect, not a deep hatred, maybe strong dislike, I guess mainly um, that's because even though Clemson operates like an sec team, they are not an SEC team. Alabama, I always root against them with the passion. So let's lead, let that lead us into the next part of this, because I do think that's an interesting point. There's been such a Big Ten SEC thing that sometimes you almost forget that Clemson is not in the SEC, except when people are talking about this part of the Clemson deal, which is that their conference stinks. From the 513, I respect what they've built, but you have to consider that the ACC is the worst I've seen it in my 19 years of life. Um, so, but the ACC isn't who Clemson is playing in the playoffs. So I respect Clemson for that, but you have to sort of keep that in mind. And one more on uh, the week conference from the seven four zero. Clemson benefits from being in a week conference, but we still haven't beaten them. So it's hard to lean on that too much. Stephen, how much should that be sort of at the top of the list of what people think about with Clemson is the fact that they are not tested on a regular basis in the ACC? It matters. It's a good argument until they blow out Alabama in a national championship and, they have been, and they've won two 
and they've been in all but one college football playoff and have two national championships to show for it. It's only a problem when it, I think in the moment when you see them struggling and having it clearly just having a bad game, North Carolina, let's just throw that in there where they, you know, if they were playing a better team, they probably would have lost and probably gotten blown out with the way they were playing for most of that game. That's when it becomes a problem is they can afford to have a bad week while a lot of the other teams that we're putting them in a conversation with can't afford to necessarily have a bad week. But other than that, they prove when they get on the stage with these other teams, they prove themselves. Nathan, how much does it enter your, your thinking? Is it at the top of the list of when you think about Clemson's success? Well, it, it, it's only relative to when, when Sweeney and other people try to make it uh, something more than it is. But again, kind of, I think Steven said, and I said it earlier, like if, if Ohio state fans can complain about that, but you sound kind of dumb when Clemson ends up beating you anyway. Um, and it's, it's in these situations, especially where everybody's got a few weeks off and, and, and I think that kind of starts to negate a little bit of the, the supposed meat grinder that Ohio state goes through relative to Clemson. So um, I, I think it's, I understand why it irks people, but as Steven says, they're still, they're still beating the really great teams in, in the sport too. It's not all, you know, uh, Wake Forest and NC State or whatever. I mean, they're, they're beating other really great teams. So as long as they're doing that, um, maybe there's sort of a method to the madness. Apologist, apologist. It is the number one thing about them is that their conference sucks because Ohio State's issue for much of the playoff era has not been losing in the playoff. It's been they haven't gotten in the playoff. So the idea that like, there are other teams out there that if you got a chance, if Georgia got more shots at the playoff, I think they'd do well. But it's hard to get there because they've got Alabama and LSU standing in their way. In the playoff era, Clemson has had a red carpet to a semifinal, and it is a huge part of their success. It is embarrassing how bad the ACC has been, and they happen to rise up and it's not coincidental because it's how college football works. A power goes down and there is a power vacuum. And it's who is going to step in and fill it. And somehow the ACC, the powers in the ACC that should be, Florida State and Miami, have fallen off the map. And all credit to Clemson for stepping in there. But I want to see Clemson do this consistently when Florida State's good and when Miami is good. And I'm not just ranting. I looked this up. It is embarrassing. In the last five years, from 2015 into, to, until 2019, and 2015 is the start of Clemson's playoff run, right? So what we're talking about with Clemson is 2015, they lost in the national title game. 16, they won it. 17, they lost in the semifinal. 18, they won it. 19, they lost in the national championship game. So those five years. I'm going to give you numbers and you guys guess, okay? In those five years, the Big Ten had 21 teams other than Ohio State finish in the top 25 of the AP poll at the end of the year. They had nine teams other than Ohio State finish in the top 10, okay? So that's Big Ten, final AP rankings the last five years, taking out Ohio State, 21 top 25, nine top 10. How many ACC teams do you think finished in the top 25 and in the top 10 in the last five years that weren't Clemson? Okay, Nathan, you guessed first on top 25. Big 10 was 21. 
guess how many the, the ACC had? In the past five years? From 15 to 19. Seven. Steven, what's your guess? Four. Four. Okay, so now you're ruining my point. It's not four. It's not 21 to four. It's 10. But it's still, there's more than double the amount of teams in the Big Ten, okay? Top 10 teams in the last five years. The Big Ten has nine. Steven, guess how many the ACC has? Two. Nathan? Zero. It's one. It's somebody finished eighth in 2016. Last year in the top 25, other than Ohio State, Ohio State finished third. The Big Ten also had nine, 10, 11, 15, and 18. Clemson finished second. Nobody else in the ACC finished in the top 25 at the end of the year polls. The ACC is a freaking joke, and it is a huge component of Clemson's success. I am not downgrading Clemson for beating teams in the playoff because that is where you prove it, but your path there is so much easier. The 2015 Ohio State team would have done a lot of damage in the playoff too, but guess what? They didn't get there because they had a good team in the Big Ten that beat them. That has been the issue for Ohio State. And so I don't think I don't think you can overrate that. I think it is an, an integral part of what Clemson is and what they are is a great team in a tremendously awful conference. Right, but the road games that Ohio State lost in 2017 and 2018 that kept them out of the playoff were not so different than the road games that Clemson has to go on the road. Right, except Ohio State has five other good teams, and when you have to play Penn State and Wisconsin and Michigan, it increases your chances of losing to Iowa and Purdue. When you only ever play Purdue, then you always beat Purdue. Ohio, Clemson's whole schedule is eight weeks of Purdue. We talked about this all the time with the SEC. It's a meat grinder. The season is a meat grinder. Every tough game slightly weakens you for the next week. Clemson never gets weakened. They never don't, they never play anybody. So you're proving my point. You're more likely mm. to lose to a mid-tier team when your regular season is tougher. Maybe. And I, I admit it. I said earlier on that I, I think Clemson should do more in the non-conference to try to make up for what it is. Why would they? They're getting in the way it is. Well, again, like I said, I mean, they're, again, they're, they're winning at the end of the year. I like, I just, I don't know if, 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 if this is what college football is and this is what um, I, I just think they're playing the game that's in front of them. I, I don't understand why they should change. But you can say their conference sucks, right? I do think their conference sucks. And so you think it is an important part of their success that their conference is terrible or not really? I think it, it, it's going to have there, – there's factors that mitigate it. I think there's, you know, in, in some ways that the fact that you play a really tough schedule should also help you at the end of the season. It should help you in terms of recruiting too sometimes. Um, and it doesn't seem to – you know, neither one of those seem to be that much of a deterrent for Clemson. They're still able to get people. So um, I'm sure – I does it help them? Maybe. I don't know. But at the end of the day, I, I think that's um, – Does it help them? Maybe. I don't know. Ugh. You had you it, it you don't think playing an easier schedule is is a somewhat significant help to a team. I think if they were I think and if we're well it depends on what you're saying. I mean if we're talking about who's winning national championships, who's competing for national championships, who cares what the regular season was? They're still getting and beating those teams in the national championship but games you get, and in the semifinals. 
you it's a limited field of who even gets the opportunity and your opportunity is based on the regular season and there's no penalty for playing lousy teams in the regular season the way the committee is operated well, like, I think there is a penalty though I mean if they if they had lost to North Carolina last yeah. year which they very almost out. did there is a penalty because they weren't getting back in that top four while if a team in the SEC or the or the SEC especially if they lose there's still a road where they can at least get back into the conversation you know, for Oregon last year, it wasn't the Arizona or wasn't the Auburn loss that kept them out of the playoff. Because if they had lost that game and won the rest of their games, they'd get in. It was the mm-hmm. loss at Arizona State that kept them out. Okay, two apologists. Uh, Clemson in the future is playing Georgia in the non-conference in 2021 and 2024. They're playing LSU in the non-conference in 2025 and 2026. They have this Notre Dame stuff that Notre Dame is like a, a halfway of an ACC member. So they have Notre Dame uh, in this season. They have Notre Dame in 2022. They have Notre Dame in 2023. But they also got a lot of Wofford and Florida Atlantics and Furman sprinkled in there. They have their rivalry with South Carolina. They play them in the non-conference every year. South Carolina also stinks. Um, I'm just I am 100% on the idea of of how important it has been to Clemson's success that they don't ever get tested during the regular season. And again. They almost lost to North Carolina, but they didn't because, like, even North Carolina, who, like, was, I guess, good enough to give them a run, Clemson played like crap that day and still won. And there were probably – if Clemson would have played like that, there's probably six teams in the Big Ten that would have beaten them that day. Um, I think it has been a huge advantage to them, and I wanted to make this point with Dabo. And this is where it diverges a little bit. Steven, you might be able to re- relate to this to the best. Mm-hmm. Does Dabo as a coach and Clemson dominating a lousy conference, does it remind you at all of the Jim Trestle era at Ohio State? Ooh. Yes. Yeah, especially in outside of some, some close matchups with Michigan at times. It was pretty clear that Ohio State was going to win the Big Ten every season, and they basically did. And and but in that situation, if you wanted to make the argument, oh, Ohio State wouldn't be in this position if they were not in the Big Ten, it came into fruition when they played Florida and then LSU in back-to-back seasons. While with Clemson, people haven't been able to prove their point. But yeah, it's very similar to our, they've been. I don't want to say skate through the way Clemson has, but it. I don't. There weren't many people who didn't think Ohio State was gonna win. The, who didn't think Ohio State was gonna win the Big Ten back then? With you know, maybe they played a tough game once a year, but for the most part, yeah, it's it's pretty similar as far as there's a huge talent gap between Ohio State, whoever number two is, and you know they could they could almost skate through the Big Ten every year. So the thing that I think is interesting too is, and, and this came out with um, Jim Trestle the way his tenure ended at Ohio State. Um, I think a lot of the national reaction to Jim Trestle was that. This guy that some people on the outside thought was sort of sanctimonious, a little holier than thou, got his comeuppance, right? And so mm-hmm. I think that is a lot of the outside perception of Dabo. And there's some faith involved in that, but it's just sort of like an aw shucks um, kind of persona. And I think it's a reminder for Ohio State fans because, like, Ohio State fans love Jim Tressel, but a lot of people around the country thought he was a fake sanctimonious sweater vest nerd and 
what Ohio State fans may think of Dabo, I think the Clemson people love Dabo. They think he is completely uh, genuine and a great leader of men. And I think there are a lot of comparisons there. Now, the, the, com- the comparison that matters, and I spent the first half of my career covering Ohio State ripping the Big Ten every week from the Big Ten stunk. I didn't defend the Big Ten when it was a joke. And Ohio State was never, you know, Michigan's going three and nine and Penn State's a mess and nobody can challenge them. And it's like Scott Tolzien's going to be the Wisconsin quarterback and coming and beat Ohio State. Give me a break. Nobody could run with them. And I ripped the Big Ten all the time. But the difference was when Ohio State got it shot, they didn't win, right? They didn't win in 06 against the SEC. They didn't win against the SEC in 2007. They didn't get over the top when they played USC in non-conference games in 08 and 09. So that's where Clemson is different. They've got a holier-than-thou coach in a crappy conference, but when they get to the stage, they win. And that is a huge difference than what Ohio State did. But in many other ways – it feels very the same to me, and it's back then there were only two spots in the playoff, right? If you were close, you weren't in. Ohio State in 2005 was the third-best team in the country. USC and Texas played for a national title, and that was it. You didn't get in. Clemson had this rise at a very good time for them that they, they are getting in the playoff, and then the bottom line is, and you guys have made this point, they're taking advantage of the opportunity when it's there, but I do think that the opportunity is presented to them more often because their path is a little bit easier. Um, I think though, I think that's the underlying part of my point. I mean, you wrote about this last year where if, if there had only been, if it had been the BCS era, Ohio state might've gotten the shaft because they would have put in LSU and then probably Clemson as the defending undefeated national championship. Ohio state might've been the third team on the outside looking in there, but now you got a four way. So yeah, I understand what you're saying about Clemson's, regular season but somebody from those other three four conferences are getting in like they're all getting a share in it's not somebody else from the acc somebody else is getting in from all those conferences still the best representative not usually from the big 10 the big 10 didn't get in two straight years yeah well but that's i mean but the only undefeated teams from the other conferences get in no but so there may have been other underlying weaknesses with some of those teams relative to the other one-loss teams that allowed those other one-loss teams to get in. I mean, we're still getting a field of four of the best teams in college football, and Clemson keeps coming out on top out of those four. So Clemson, I think that but, just but, – But the Big Ten champ didn't get in for three straight years. 16, 17, and 18, the Big Ten champ did not get in the playoff. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason they didn't get in is because they didn't have an undefeated record because their conference was better. So if your point is like, well, the field's expanded, and it is, it's expanded from two, and that has helped Clemson. It also helps Clemson that it's expanded, and they never lose in their conference because their conference stinks. And you can't say every other conference is getting their team in when the Big Ten champ didn't get in for three straight years. Right, but what I'm saying is that there are one-loss teams from those other conferences that are getting in in some of those years, and there's a reason why the Big Ten programs were not seen as on the same footing as those programs. Disagree. I, I don't know. Like, I just think I mean, Oklahoma still got in with one loss in 2018. Georgia got in with one loss in, well, I guess they were the actually the SEC champ that year, but Alabama and Georgia both get in in 2017. Like one loss teams are getting Clemson even had one loss that year. They still get in the playoff. I think everybody, everybody had like one loss that year that Clemson got in. One they did, yeah. Though. But they were the number one. They were they got in. They had one loss and were the number one overall seed in the playoff. 
the the thing that I and I've written this before. I think the Big Ten is sort of like right in the bad middle. That it's like it's a good enough conference that you risk losing, but it's not so good, mostly like the SEC, that you get automatic respect and your loss is sort of pushed aside. Clemson is in just is in just a crappy conference where they're it's easier to win, um, and the SEC is harder to win. But then the SEC champ is always going to get in. The SEC champ will never be left out of a playoff. And I think the Big Ten is caught in that middle that has not served the Big Ten very well. I think the only things they're going to fix this would be if there was some sort of mandating someone's schedule, which will never happen, um, to ensure that everybody played some uh, more level playing field, which can't happen in the current structure of college sports, or something that you've railed against before, which is, playoff expansion, but I think playoff expansion would take a step towards um, equalizing something like what you're talking about. I mean, if we get to a point where, yeah, if you win your conference, you're in, then it's a different equation. All you have to you find a way to win your conference and then we'll figure it out um, when we get to the playoff. But, but the way the system has worked, I just, I don't think the way the system has worked, Clemson has worked it to a T um, but I definitely think it's been part of their success. A couple other funny Clemson stories from the 330. After living in the Carolinas and having massive Clemson fans for in-laws, I despise that team, to put it lightly. Just the mere sight of Dabo makes my blood boil. While Ohio State fans catch a lot of grief for their hubris, I assure you, Clemson fans are worse. At least Buckeye fans can speak on the rest of the NCAA. Clemson fans typically know nothing outside of their own program. That's Joe in Chicagoland. I thought it was funny to have uh, Clemson in-laws. This I thought was interesting. From the 470, I live in Georgia, and I feel like, Nathan, we should call this guy. I live in Georgia, and my son's high school got destroyed by Trevor Lawrence-led Cartersville High School one week, and two weeks later got beat by Justin Fields' Harrison High School team their senior years. Can you imagine being a team that had to play Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields like three weeks apart in high school? That is unbelievable to me. Um, yeah. I think that probably is is not as I mean that that's a, the fact that they were the number one, number two quarterback recruits in the country. But there, I mean, there's there's definitely some pockets in this country where it, it's pretty intense on a on a week to week basis. That schedule is actually tougher than the Clemson schedule in the ACC. Is if you had mm-hmm. to play Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence's high school, you played a tougher schedule than Clemson does. Uh, continuing from Troy in Atlanta, uh, I have a lot of respect for the program and for what Dabo has done. However, I am disappointed with their very weak conference and non-conference schedule. So they pretty much get 12 practice games leading up to the ACC championship. I am also growing tired of Dabo's no respect shtick. I will be rooting for an upset in every game. They play this year. A uh, couple more. 412. I hate Clemson. I respect aspects of what they do. I respect Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, but Dabo has taken his act of poor old Clemson too far. No one nationally is underrating Clemson, but they act so sorry for themselves. Um, let's move it up. This is, I think this is interesting, and this is a point I think that's worth discussing. From the 502, I hate Clemson, but I think Ohio State needs them in their pursuit of being the best. Ohio State has typically done better as the underdog than as the team at the top. Steven, what do you think of that idea that Ohio State needs a team that beat it, that it can hate, that it can chase, that it can compare itself to, and that is actually a motivator for the Buckeyes. Do you agree with that or no? 
I do actually. It's just something that you consistently said and wrote about. It's the whole king of the north thing. Being a northern school, you're always going to be behind southern schools, specifically the SEC. But we're going to throw Clemson in there because they are in the south, and you know they are kind of operating like, like a SEC team who's had an opportunity to play in a JV league right now. Because they're they're that under they're basically the, the whole king of the north thing allows them to to to. When they are operating on full cylinders, they're still not the favorite, you know. And when they won in 2014, they they weren't the favorite. When they won in 2002, Miami was the dynasty in the South. So when you're operating on those, when you're operating on all cylinders, yeah, you do need a Southern team that you can, oh, you can use that Ohio against the world mentality that Ohio State fans have and put into full effect. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense that you need a team like Clemson or Alabama, or whoever from the South to, to chase, basically. From the 3-3-0, I'm interested to see how long Clemson sustains success. I don't hate them. I respect them. I think they are the hurdle in our way now. I would love to finally freaking beat them. Um, I'd love a national title for Ohio State if they can get one, but if they don't play Clemson in the playoff to do it, I'll be left wanting more. From the 937, I respect Clemson. They have proven to consistently excel at a national level despite a lack of regular season competition. I also long to play them again. I want us to show the world that we were better than them last year and that we will be the better team this year in a world where beating Michigan has become expected. It is nice to have a worthy opponent to look forward to. Nathan, that idea, that was such a big part of the national championship in 2014. It's not just that the Buckeyes got there for the first time since 2002, but they beat Bama on the way. Do you think that the next Ohio State national championship wouldn't quite be the same if it didn't go through Clemson? No. I, I knew you were going to say no. I knew you were going to say no. I mean, you know, because because we don't know how long this lasts for Clemson. I mean, I think if it, it this year it would feel weird if we have football in 2020 – Ohio State wins a national championship and Clemson isn't even in the playoff for some reason. I think that would feel weird, but um, you're still going to have to beat somebody great to win a national championship year in and year out. Um, if it just so happens that this is the year that Alabama rises back up and uh, Georgia or Oregon or whoever is there in the mix, um, I, I just, I, it, it, it's not the same as if, you know, it's not the same as if you, you somehow lose to Michigan but still make the playoffs and then win a national championship. I guess it's – I understand why people think that that loses some luster or something, but um, you, you just can't assume that, Cle- that Clemson's going to be there every year. And you can you, – you do know that Ohio State, you, as good as you are, you don't get those opportunities every year. I wouldn't – I certainly wouldn't look sideways at a national championship that just didn't have Clemson involved. Steven, I bet you disagree. No, I don't. Know. I, I I think I think fans believe that. I know the players believe it. I, yeah, no, they, they, it has to go through Clemson, just like it had to go through Alabama in 2014. I think it. I, I mean, again, of course, nobody's going to give turn their national title back in, but I I do think this is something um, that is that is sort of stuck in the craw uh, Ohio, of Ohio State fans. So um, I do think. I do think there would be quite a difference between a national title that doesn't include going through Clemson and one that mm-hmm. does. From the 864, Matt, from the 864. For me, I think it's slightly more complex. My family is from Ohio, but my dad is from South Carolina. We live in South Carolina now. My dad is a huge Clemson fan. 
I'm surrounded by Clemson fans every day. Part of me hates them on the same level as Michigan. It feels personal. People here talk trash about the state of Ohio in general, so I really feel deep connection to the Ohio against the world mantra. Again, we've just got some South Carolina people here from the 440. I live in South Carolina. I think Clemson is a great program, and I respect Dabo. Some of his antics are getting a little old, but hey, it works for them. I can't deal with some of their fans down here, just as I am sure a lot of people can't deal with some Ohio State fans. Um, I do think Clemson really benefits from a super weak conference. I do not fear them. I have not feared anyone since we knocked off Bama in 14 under Urban Meyer. I do compare Ohio State to Clemson and Bama, and I want Clemson again this year. People that know football understand Ohio State is as good, if not better, than Clemson. Now it's just time to prove it on the field. I wanted to get to this one other one about Clemson fans. From the 775, I think Dabo is arrogant. I resent that they play in the weakest conference and as a result will be automatically in the playoff every year. It ticks me off Clemson continues spring football practice when everyone else had canceled. But I like the Clemson fans. I went to a game there 15 years ago when they were horrible and weren't relevant and the fans were just as energized as they are today. Diehards like the Buckeyes. Still haven't gotten over the playoff loss to Clemson. And I probably never will go Bucks. That's from the 775. Um, so respect for those fans. And there are some people who only have respect. From the 954, I respect Clemson. They have a different approach, very religious in tone, plays well with some recruits rather than others. Dabo does Dabo. The program is a reflection of his vision. Tip your hat to them and beat them on the field. Um, so there's, there's no hatred in that. There's just respect. Um, and then, but then there's the other side of this. From the 330, I hate them. I told my 14-year-old daughter, who really just started watching this year, you will remember this game for the rest of your life, and your kids will ask you, why do you hate Clemson so much? And you will tell them all about the 2019 semifinal loss. Steven, does that make sense? Is that loss to Clemson the kind of thing that could make certain fans hate Clemson forever, no matter what? I don't know no matter what, but it, it, it feeds into the want to beat them. I think I don't know if it makes you hate them no matter what, but it it, it does add another peg on what to why you hate this team. And until you beat this team, the hatred is going to continue to grow. But I don't know if it's a no matter what situation, but it does add a notch to it of like of all these other things. And this has happened now. From the 614, one more thing about the conference. They've uh, certainly proven they belong, but if Ohio State and Clemson switched conferences, woo boy, would a lot of people want to leave Ohio State out of playoff discussions with that schedule. The ACC is exponentially worse than the Big Ten currently, and not a word is uttered about it. I think that is – I'm not sure that's 100% true, but I think that is an underlying thing for some Big Ten fans who heard a lot of talk about how bad the Big Ten was for a lot of years, and maybe there's no repercussions for the ACC now. Um, Clemson is boring from the 719. I don't hate Clemson, but I recognize some hypocrisy in this, but I think they are boring because they do go unchallenged until the playoff. The hypocrisy is that I hope each year that Ohio State goes unchallenged until the playoff, and I'm exceedingly happy and entertained all season long if and when that happens. I think part of that is like you hate Clemson's schedule, but you kind of wish Ohio State could have a schedule like that. Do you think that's part of it, Nathan? We, we had, we've had our schedule discussion, but do you think maybe some Ohio State fans are sort of envious of Clemson's schedule and think, I wish we just had to play Wake Forest eight times every year? Yeah, I suppose that that's part of it. But you also have to remember, it's not like Clemson is going in and just farting along and barely beating these teams. I mean, you can look at the metrics and 
they're they're crushing teams. I mean, they're, they 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 had for even last year where they had a really low strength of schedule rating. As I was doing kind of the week to week follow of things, I was the one telling people all along like. Clemson's the team you guys have to watch out for. Stop. Don't worry about how many interceptions Trevor Lawrence threw the first couple of weeks. Don't worry about the schedule. You can see in the underlying performance here, they're getting it done. They're, they're, they're steamrolling these teams. They're flattening everybody. You know, and if I, Ohio State makes the same argument when it crushes Rutgers, crushes Maryland, crushes whoever else, crushes Miami of Ohio. I mean, yes, your point is valid that there are more good teams on Ohio State's schedule. But the underlying performance is there for Clemson, regardless of what the, the, the schedule is. It was there for even a team like Alabama last year for most of the season. So, A um, couple more from the 919. I hate Clemson. They're definitely propped up by a weak conference. Um, I'm also ticked that Kirk Herbstreet sent his kids to Clemson. He <laughs> himself. That, that is like Michigan-type hatred, right? I mean, like, yeah. I thought it was funny. If you're mad at Kirk Herbstreet, and his kids are walk-ons at Clemson, and part of it is, I think, because – Kirk Herbstreet has such a respect for Dabo. Um, I thought that was interesting. The, obviously, the, the game last year just amped all of this up. From the 701, I don't dislike Clemson, but I hate that the narrative was continued due to the playoff loss. Um, I, what I hate is that the narrative never mentions Clemson's easy schedule and all that stuff, and that Clemson had to do everything it can to win that game in spite of the advantages that Clemson has over Ohio State with the weak schedule and that kind of stuff and playing only eight conference games. They feel like maybe if Ohio State would have won in that playoff game, it would have taken some of that away. And instead the Clemson success narrative continues unabated from the 701. Here's the opposite view. And, and I want to get you to your opinions on this and then we'll get to our Clemson answers. That 19 loss was so devastating. And so I think some people, as that texter just said, it, it could make the whole Clemson thing worse. This is the other side from the 7-4-0. I respect what Clemson has done. I somewhat feared them until we played them in 2019. I no longer fear them as an opponent. I respect what Dabo has done down there, although I think Dabo is a huge – is a huge – I can't say the word they, they said – and a fake <laughs> – Alan Kitchen, by the way, I read yours, Alan Kitchen, and I also couldn't read yours. I'm not sure it's the D, the DB word. I don't know if that's a podcast word or not. A lot of people use the DB word to describe Dabo. I don't know if that's a coincidence with initials, but that is the overriding word that people use to describe him. Um, I respect what the program has done, but I'm glad I'm not a Clemson fan. The idea that that should should Nathan should what happened last year. Should that have, like, stuck the knife in for Ohio State fans and only made this whole Clemson thing worse? Or should that have been a realization of, like, hey, yeah, the Buckeyes can run with these guys. Let us get at them again. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I disagree with the texture. I don't think it was an example of showing that Clemson is done. I think it was showing that the best Ohio State team that has come along since the national championship could not beat a Clemson team that was – had some questions and was, was kind of down a little bit. Um, you, you couldn't beat that team. And now Clemson is probably going to be even stronger this year. They're recruiting right up there for future seasons with where Ohio state is. I mean, um, I don't think this problem looks like it's going away anytime soon for Ohio state. I think that was, I almost look at it as like, that was your one shot to reverse the trajectory, reverse the momentum here a little bit of this, this head to head and you didn't get it done. Stephen, what do you think of that? Yeah, I, I don't know if this is 
He's not going to be in the last shot, but it's that, Clemson's not going anywhere, and they're going to be the thing that Ohio State has to go through, whether it's in, on on the field or in the recruiting on the recruiting trail, just like they are in 2021 right now, where obviously Ohio State's pulling away primarily easily right now, but it look, it's looking like those are going to be the top two teams in the recruiting class for 2021, but neither one of these teams are going anywhere, and so the hatred's just going to continue to grow until Ohio State can be the on the field. From a, a little bit of a different viewpoint from the 559, I don't hate Clemson overall. I think they're a sick program, sick meaning good. Yeah, Ohio State's 0-4 versus them, but it's not like all those games were blowouts. I give Clemson zero thoughts during the season, and I just want Ohio State to win the Big Ten and beat Michigan. The chips fall however they want after that. So that's maybe the least um, interested in Clemson response that we got. Let's do one more rant, and then we'll get to – our responses from the 614. Amazing question about Clemson. I have a lot of thoughts on the topic. I view Clemson as what Ohio State should have been. You've spoken about that at length in the past, but I firmly believe it is true. As a result, there is some disdain, not hate, and an immense amount of respect for what they have been able to accomplish. They are the ultimate program and rival to which Ohio State should be compared, and they have reached a level of success the program should strive for. Michigan and the rest of the Big Ten, Big Ten have morphed into nothing but a potential stumbling block in Ohio State's collision course towards meeting Clemson in the playoff. We see this play out both on the field and in recruiting, and I believe in the 2020s you will see this matchup become comparable to what Clemson-Alabama was in the 2010s. Glad you gave me the opportunity to get that rant off my chest. That's the other part of this. At the moment, like Clemson's biggest rival is Alabama. Because that's the team that Clemson has had to get through to win a national championship, and they've met in the playoff multiple times, more even than Ohio State and Clemson have met. So that's almost like a one more little dig at Ohio State. It's like if Ohio State is comparing itself to Clemson, Clemson is not comparing itself to Ohio State. Clemson is comparing itself to Alabama, which is not something that I really thought of. But nobody could dispute, Nathan, right? Nobody can dispute that Alabama-Clemson is the national rivalry in college football right now. Yeah, uh, 100%. And it goes back to kind of what people were saying before about Clemson being sort of this faux SEC program, which I guess in a way people try to make that, I guess, that same analogy with Ohio State, but it doesn't really work just because they're not in the South. But Clemson is. I mean, Clemson is – there are probably casual college football fans who even mistake Clemson for being in the SEC because they're achieving at such a level and going head-to-head there. And the fact that Dabo has his Alabama roots too, I mean, it all just kind of – plays in yeah I mean that that's that's the standard right now as far as a national rivalry it's it's what you know Texas USC might have been several years ago it it goes on that same level and from the 843 I think this was a great point because part of this is that the context for Ohio State fans in comparison to Clemson is so different than every other context that Ohio State fans find themselves in from the 843 one thing it's made me realize is this must be how Michigan fans are feeling and to an extent, Penn State and Wisconsin fans. No matter what type of team they have, Ohio State just seems to get the breaks or make just one more play for the win. Clemson is our kryptonite until we win. And I think that's so interesting of like, again, Ohio State beats everybody. This is the one team that they can't beat. And that it's actually a zero in the win column is just so interesting that it's 100% they have never done it. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Like I, like I'm going to keep Clemson on my radar. Clemson, I, I'm Steven. Like that's if you said to me, like, what do you want out of this Ohio State season? My number one thing would be I want to see Ohio State and Clemson play in the playoff, either in the semifinal or in the championship game, just because I want to. I just want to see what happens. 
Yeah, a championship game. That 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 has to be the championship game. Obviously, I we, we I'd take either one, but the championship game is where those for, because of all the factors that are going on that we have been discussing for the last hour and a half. That there's that that has to be the championship game. But 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 Clemson Alabama. I mean Ohio State Alabama yeah. was not the championship game in 2014. Correct. Yeah. So and it didn't take anything away. I don't know that anybody like. It almost allows you to remember two games on the same level because Alabama, Ohio State in 2014 felt like a championship game, and then you still had the championship game. But if you ask Ohio State fans right now, what do you remember most about winning the 2014 national title? It's the Alabama game. It's not the Oregon game. So I want to see them play. I I don't think it has to be the championship because I think Ohio State Clemson at this point, it would be such a colossal showdown. I wouldn't care where it happened as long as it happened. But also, I think part of the Alabama was Alabama, but it was also like we beat the best team in the SEC after the SEC had been, you know, and had embarrassed us on this stage the last two times. While so the Alabama represented the fact that it was Alabama, but also the everything about the SEC. While in this situation, this isn't a, a, a the Ohio State's gripe with the ACC; it's their gripe with one team who continues to be in the way and not necessarily just a conference. Yeah. But why does it matter? But why does it, I don't understand why that factors into why it has to be in the championship game. I just think it just makes for a bit. You just think you it. Know. That's fine. You're allowed to think things. Yeah, just, it's all it is. Um, okay. <laughs> Let's get to our categories. I sent these out. We'll finish up the Ohio state Clemson discussion with this. We hope you guys have enjoyed it. Um, if you want to be part of something like this, we read as many, I, there's more I, I didn't get to. We got like well over a hundred, well over a hundred. So many responses on the Ohio State Clemson thing. It's unbelievable. I love, and you inform how we think about it. I promise you do. Um, So if you want to be part of that and you want to be part of this ongoing discussion on this podcast, which is now going to be five days a week, in the tech subscriptions, we respond to you sometimes. Try it out. 14-day free trial, 614-350-3315. And actually, we're going to take a quick break on Buckeye Talk, and we will be right back after this with our final wrap-up with our answers from Nathan and Stephen and me on what we think of Ohio State Clemson. This is Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. These are the questions that I sent out for the three of us to kind of answer. There are three overarching questions and then some very specific ones. Let's start with the more specific ones and we'll get to the overarching things at the end because there's one more point I want to make that some other texters made that was a good one. One thing I said was describe Dabo Sweeney in three words. Nathan, what was your answer for describing Dabo in three words? So if we'll allow an abbreviation to be a word unto itself, I put PhD from Shoney's. You guys know what Shoney's is? <laughs> yes, it's like a it's like a buffet, right? This is a buffet. It's like yeah, it's like a, it's a it's a it's very much a southern place. We had one in Danville, Illinois, when I grew up, but it's not there anymore. It's very much a, a southern um, dining experience. Um, they're w- well known for their breakfast buffet, which is actually quite good from what I remember back in the day. My best friend Kenny Clarkson from high school worked at Shoney's when we were in high school, um, and so it's he's got a PhD. I mean, he is legit he is a a he is a mastermind of recruiting he's a mastermind of putting together a staff he's a mastermind of building this program into what he did but he still has that like down home southern vibe that's baked into the whole thing so phd from shoney's steven what's yours um 
I don't know. That really just threw me for a loop because I have no idea what that is. <laughs> oh, it's like uh, I mean, Shoney's is just like a, uh, it's like a, it's like a buffet that's not fancy. It's kind of like, like a cheap, cheap cafeteria yeah, style buffet. So yeah. like how what like how um hometown buffet that used to be in Columbus, kind of like that. Yeah, but like, like lower buffet. quality. Like um, <laughs> the band, band Ween had a song. Um, yeah. Reference Shoney's. It says breakfast at Shoney's for two ninety nine. Like that kind of place. Okay. Um, I like food trucks. Anything that has to do with food trucks because it's cheap. It's on the go. Like Columbus has like had like this. What are you talking about? <laughs> Why are you talking about food trucks? Because he's already talking about food. He no, we're talking about. about... Like <laughs> what does that have to do with Davo Sweeney? What are your three words for Davo no. Sweeney? I like food <laughs> I trucks too. I don't feel in the middle of conversation. I'm so I haven't eaten today. He got me really, really hungry. Two I thought your five. answer for describe Dabo Sweeney was <laughs> I like food trucks. I'm sorry. I got really hungry for a second when he threw out the food option. Um, did you not do your homework? Did you not write I these did. down? No, I did. Cunt, cunt, no, I'm I'm reading them right now. Okay. Dabo Sweeney in three words. Go. Ready? Go. Country. This does I'm, not sound like an answer that you have written down. You no, can do homework. Can, can I, country? Country, let me think of word two. Under, under, underseller. And, you know. Underdog. There is no underdog. way that you have those written down. Just Underseller, I do. No, you I do. Under, have, I you're not underseller. reading them. You're thinking of underseller. them right now. I have a lot written down in these notes pages. Underseller and underdog. Those are my ones. Okay, we're moving on. Mine is diabolically aw shucks, which is stealing from the texters, that aw shucks kind of idea. And diabolical is a word I've used with Nick Saban a lot. But like, I think that is the whole thing with, with Dabo is that he's the down home kind of thing, but he's like an evil genius, which is like a compliment. So um, that is my diabolically uh, aw shucks for Dabo Sweeney. All right, Nathan, is Clemson a superpower for good or a creation of one coach? I think it's a creation of one coach from for the reasons I kind of said before. Steven, what's the your fact vote? that they'd had they'd had like really no sustained national presence at all until Dabo came along. Steven, do you agree or disagree? I do. Creation of one coach. So I think it's a decent I think Florida State is a decent comparison for them cuz like for instance Miami sort of had some pretty high level success just as a, you know, we're making an ACC comparison, which is like, you're a good program in the South, but you're not in the SEC. Um, Miami had some success across multiple coaches from Howard Schnellenberger to Jimmy Johnson to Butch Davis. A lot of it was built on Jimmy Johnson, but Florida state with Bobby Bowden. Now it's hard because Bobby Bowden was there for so long. He got there in 19, I have it called up 1976. And they had virtually no history before that. Um, and then they became Florida State. Now, Jimbo Fisher did have some success taken over for, Bo for Bobby Bowden, but he was like the groomed guy. He won a national title in year four, and then they kind of got sick of him, and he fell off a little bit. That, I even think, Florida State, to me, makes more sense. It's like Florida State should be good no matter what because they're in Florida, but at the moment they haven't proven that. So I do think it's more one coach because, yes, Clemson has other things in place there. And it's one of those things. It's like, would you rather be in the South or not be in the South? Because if you're a program in the South, you have all this talent around you. But if you're a program in the South, you also have a lot of other good programs competing with you. So Clemson, 
under Dabo is like out recruiting Georgia and Alabama and LSU for guys in South Carolina and Georgia and that part of the country. And I don't know that it's going to be automatic with the next guy. I, I could see it being very hard to live up to Dabo. So I do think it's more a one coach kind of thing. Steven, will Clemson be the best program in college football in five years? Yes, I think so. I don't think, I think there's only one reason why Dabo goes anywhere and Nick Saban has that job right now. So I think as long as he's there, a lot of, to the point of this is all because of one coach and what he's been able to build here. As long as he's there, the Clemson will be, and I don't think he's going anywhere. So yes, Clemson will still be at the top of the college football landscape in five years. Nathan. I said no. I went back and looked at some of the other recent kind of extended stretches of being great, and whether it was USC, Oregon, uh, Florida under Meyer, uh, Texas, I guess you could throw in there. Um, I mean, the Alabama stretch is kind of indefinite, I guess, with Saban, and maybe Sweeney's in that case, but the other ones, they last about seven, eight years. Um, Sweeney got things going around 2011. Um, he was there before, but it really started cooking around 2011. So historically, it would seem like they might be coming up on the end of the – so I, I think it kind of does maybe start to, to dip a little bit five years out, but we'll see. Um, I, I basically subscribe to the, to the Steven idea. I think as long as Dabo is there, they will continue to be that, and I think he will be there five years from now. Everybody is, speculates about his future. Again, he played at Alabama. Will he take over for Saban? My bet at the moment would be that he might take over for the guy who takes over for Saban. That he, why go there when you are kicking butt at your place? And I might, if I were Dabo, I might want want to make Alabama beg a little bit. You know, it's like with Jim Harbaugh, Michigan was in dire straits and they had to sort of beg their guy to come save him. Alabama doesn't need saving. So if, if Saban falls off a cliff at the end and Alabama gets bad under Saban, I think it would maybe be more likely that Dabo takes over immediately. I'm not assuming that's going to happen. I'm assuming Saban's going to be at the top for as long as he stays there. Then I wouldn't go if I were Dabo. I would wait and do my thing. And then maybe, you know, if Saban's there another five years, you let somebody go. And then maybe it's a last act for Dabo at the end of his career to go to Alabama if the saving replacement fails but i would guess five years from now yes they're still the best because Dabo is still there what's the one thing one player one coach one person that ohio state should want to steal from clemson if it could nathan what was your thing with this what's the one thing ohio state would want to steal from clemson i actually didn't it wasn't a person for me i said location which actually i guess isn't even something they could steal it's something they would have to like absorb or put themselves into but like it's the one thing kind of missing for Ohio State it's like they they recruit as kind of a national SEC like power just without getting to have the the SEC um, location so if they could somehow take everything that there is about Ohio State now whether that's the the national brand and the money that their athletic department can generate and the and in the and Columbus and the greater Ohio economy and all that and somehow transplanted into South Carolina so that all of that stays equal. Plus now they're in South Carolina. I think um, it would not, you know, ratchet things up a notch. Steven. Mine is not a per person either, but it's based off a person. The idea of what Brent Venables is for Clemson, where he's been there for nine years. This in, so basically this entire run, he's been there. And Ohio State's not far off. Kerry Cole, this is his seventh split up, but he was here for six and now he's back 
Larry Johnson's been here for six seasons. And then Mick Marotti is the closest thing they have. He, this is his ninth year that he's been here. So he's been here the same amount of time as Britt Venables has been at Clemson. But just a coach, a coordinator who is here for, and you're not, you're not necessarily worried every summer that this might be a guy, even though he's good enough to probably take a head coaching job elsewhere, you know he's not going anywhere. Two good answers, and uh, I have stories percolating on both of those. I actually, we got a really good question about uh, from one of the texters about what would happen if Ohio State was in the South, to your point, Nathan. And I've been working, you know, I have this, this Kerry Combs, Brent Venables story holstered for a long time. But um, I would like to do that as one of the mini pods coming up is just for half an hour talk about what if Ohio State was in the South and what that would mean. So I think those are both really good. I picked – their success of um, like their quarterback train that like on top of it wasn't one guy. They've been able to go from Taj Boyd who got it started a little bit then to Deshaun Watson who took it to the next level. And then you get Trevor Lawrence in there. I'm going to say this kid's name wrong, but he got him out of California. DJ Ugalele was the number 10 overall recruit in the country. The number one quarterback in the class of 2020. When you lock down quarterback, you make things so smooth for your program. And maybe that's where Ohio State's going to be. Maybe Ohio State doesn't have to steal that because maybe that's where they are. But if that's the point that Ohio State's going to be at where, they go, where they're able to go from Dwayne Haskins to Justin Fields to Stroud or Miller to Kyle McCord that you are just rolling in the next five-star quarterback, um, Clemson's done that as well as anybody. And so that's the thing that I think Ohio State would want to steal or emulate. These are the last three. The overarching things we sort of talked about, disliking Clemson, fearing Clemson, respecting Clemson. Let's start with dislike. Nathan, what is the thing that you dislike about Clemson the most? You know, I, I had a different answer until you brought it up in the earlier discussion, and now I'm saying it's the, the Dabo stance on the, – the, the ridiculous hypocritical stance on not paying players. That's a good one. Steven, you. It's the underdog thing. I can't – like, to the, I just can't. I can't stand with Ohio State started doing it last year too. I hate when you know teams do that when they don't have to do that when they don't have to use that as motivation. Agree. Hate it. Fake underdog. Fake underdog stuff is one of the worst thing in sports, and they do it as well as anybody, which I hate. Um, Steven, the thing to respect, the thing that you respect about Clemson the most. The they went from, you know. Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence to DJ Ugalele, like their core, they're on this run of beating a lot. And then Taj Board, of course, started that up. They're, they're run at certain positions, whether it's quarterback or wide receiver, the way they've been able to develop themselves at those specific positions, which are become very important in, in offensive college football. That's, that's the thing I respect the most there. When Nathan, you can put your st- name on a, on a position, I respect that. Nathan. I think it's it's again kind of harkening back to what we talked about before. I think it's how they rise to the occasion. I mean, this this I still think that the underlying the weakness of the ACC should actually hold this program back. And instead, I understand the point you're making, but again, when they get to those games and have to win two games in a row against the best teams in the country, they keep doing it, or they're at least winning one of them and getting into that that championship game. So I think it's just the way that, regardless of what you think about Clemson and all these other facets, they keep showing up and and. And, and doing it when they're supposed to do it. Mine is their player development because they have done this without recruiting at the highest level in the country, that they they recruit well, but 
they have really, um, and all schools talk about it, but they talked about it a lot. And I was asking people about it when we were covering the playoff semifinal that, you know, with, they look for a certain guy who fits their program. They're not just going by recruiting rankings, whatever. We get it. But they really have found a way. Yes, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence were highly ranked guys, but they've had some other guys in there that they've turned into really good players uh, without them being all five stars. So I think that player development is the thing I respect the most, which is going to lead me into my final answer. Nathan, we'll start, or Steven, we'll start with you. The thing to fear the most about Clemson. To that point is that now they're starting, they've developed lower star guys and now they're starting to get, you know, the top 100 guys, the number one pro style quarterback in the country, the number one player in the country. So now they're, they're taking the habits that they built when they were getting getting these lower star guys and developing into NFL talent, and now they're getting guys who are already going to be NFL talent as is, and they're going to be able to do. They're getting the Chase Young, Jeffrey Kuda level type player now, basically. Nathan, yeah, my mine was similar. I just put trajectory. Um, you know, the fact that Ohio State couldn't beat them last year when maybe they were Clemson was a little bit more vulnerable, and Ohio State was maybe a more complete team. And then now, as what Steven's saying, now they are right up there in the recruiting rankings. I know we're making a big deal about Ohio State's done in this class so far, and that may be warranted, but Clemson's not that far behind, frankly. Um, they're really getting it done in the recruiting. And if, if you start to merge those two things together, kind of the underdog um, build your program success with now you're pulling in those elites of the elite, um, things get really dangerous, And I, and I, which may be what decides whether or not um, they're the best program in five years or not. Are they one of these teams that kind of has a finite period like I was describing before, or are they Alabama? All right. We didn't get to all the questions. And before I give my answer, I just want to want to run through a, a last couple from some of our most devoted followers. Tyler Shoemaker says, I'm biased because I live 40 minutes from Clemson. So everyone here is a diehard Tigers fan. I respect them, but Dabo irks the living crap out of me. And their fan base is really arrogant for a team that only became relevant in 2015. I hate the fact that Ohio State has never beaten them despite being the better team in 2013 and 2019. Uh, one from our friend Chip Munn. Clemson sucks. Chip in the 724. I dislike them as much as Michigan, Penn State, and Alabama. Dabo Sweeney is fake. Um, we are snake bitten against them. Um, man, nobody feels he, – he, I despise clubs and chip went off the rails a little bit. I respect it. Um, but really, really does not like them. This one from the six one four. I hate Clemson. I want to beat their butt. I want them to be in our way so we can play them, um, and beat them. Um, last couple. Oh, this is the one that, um, I want to end with as a, as a text or response before we get to my answer from the nine one six. Clemson should fear Ohio State more than Ohio State should fear Clemson. They beat Ohio State on a fluke, and they know it. Every year, they'll get into the championship untested, not knowing their weaknesses or what they are really made of, uncertain, uncomfortable, whereas Ohio State will come in battle-tested. We're the better team because of that. We've been in fights all year while they've been pumping iron. That last idea, before I get to my answer, Nathan, do you think – Ohio State, as much as we just talked about that Clemson and Alabama are their main national rivalry, do you think Ohio State should be on Clemson's radar of, like, things that stand in our way of what we want to do as Clemson as Ohio State on that list? I think so. Um, for I mean, partially because they know that last year's game was anybody's to win. I think they, they have to look at Ohio State as being a team that is on that 
that same tier with them and Alabama if you're looking over an extended period of time. Um, you know, Ohio State hasn't won at that level as recently, which is why they're third. But they're in that conversation, and they're going to be in that conversation year in and year out. I think Clemson definitely at least respects them. I, I Maybe fear would be going too far. I don't know who, who Clemson should really fear at this point. Last thing from the 937, I definitely respect Clemson and everything they've done. Great program Dabo has built. I hate them to the core. I have a buddy who's a Clemson fan, and he's always rubbing stuff in my face. I hate Clemson. Cannot wait for their inevitable demise back to irrelevancy. Man, I just – this really brought something out of people, but I do think um, – people know this. It's what you guys have mentioned. I, I do not think we have seen the best of Clemson. Now, here's the thing of it. Michigan State was Michigan State. And then once Michigan State got good on the backs of three stars, they started trying to recruit at a higher level because they had better players interested in them. And that almost like undid them. That that Michigan State was built on not recruiting great, but developing great, having a great culture and a great attitude. And then they become a playoff team and they lost who they are a little bit. I wonder if that could happen to Clemson because Clemson, as you guys have pointed out, my thing to fear is that they have not recruited at a highest level at the highest level. And they're just starting to, I don't know if they would maybe partly lose who they are. If they start getting five stars all the time and in the class of 2020, they got the number one player, number seven, number 10, number 26, number 33, number 52, number 68. Like that is the kind of stuff they're just starting to do. And I want to compare it to Ohio State. Going back to 2011, actually, we're going to go back to the 2012 recruiting class. 2011 was the first time, I think it was Dabo's third full year, the first time they had a really good year in 2011. So then the 2012 recruiting class is when maybe they start to establish themselves. I'm going to compare Ohio State's recruiting class ranking to Clemson's recruiting class ranking starting in 2012. Ohio State 5, Clemson 20. 2013, Ohio State 2, Clemson 15. 2014, Ohio State 3, Clemson 16. 2015, Ohio State 7, Clemson 9. 2016, Ohio State 4, Clemson 11. 2017, Ohio State 2, Clemson 16. 2018, Ohio State 2, Clemson 7. Now, 2019 is the first time that Dabo has out-recruited Ohio State since he got here. This was the weird half Urban Meyer, half Ryan Day year. Clemson was 10. Ohio State was 14. And then in the class of 2020, Ohio State was five. Clemson was three. So to that point, guys, is it possible that we have not yet seen the best of Clemson yet? Or is there some possibility that as they recruit better, they'll lose part of who they are? I think we haven't seen the best of Clemson yet because it. To the the classes weren't high, but it started with getting a guy of the caliber of Trevor Lawrence, which opened the door to getting a lot of these other kids. So I don't I don't think they're going to lose who they are at all. Yeah, no, I I think I understand what what someone's asking with that, but it, unless it unless it starts to be a thing where you're bringing in um the cal a caliber of player that also is coming with not the same character or identity that you want for your program. I, I really don't think that's going to be anything that is, is an undoing for Clemson. 
Which is to the point they're entering a, a, where they are going to be able to pick and choose which of these, you know, five, these high caliber, they can get the guys who are the five stars, but also still meet a lot of the things that they were looking for when they were just getting three stars and lower, lower level four star guys. They can get picky with the guys they want. And, and I mean, if, they're, is, if they're still identifying the best, if they're still identifying the underrated three stars, yeah. that's what really makes them dangerous. Yeah, which would bring them sort of back to Ohio State, right? The thing we talk about is like when you compare that, you pick out the three stars that you really like, Cam Martinez's and guys like that that you think are underrated, and then you pair them with a bunch of five stars. I think that's that's the best kind of recruiting class you could have. Um, I actually missed a couple guys because when I was reading that before, that was only the guys who were already on campus. They they have a bunch of other five stars too. I mean, they have like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They got seven of the top 50 kids in the class of 2020. So that's what Clemson is doing now. So, and one other thing, it's like, I think the, you know, you guys have made the point, the Clemson team that Ohio state faced in the playoff last year was not the best of Clemson. It was among the best of Ohio state. So the next time Ohio state faces Clemson, I think they have to expect that they will see a Clemson team that is more complete, a greater depth of talent across the board, offense and defense. They'll probably keep having a guy like Trevor Lawrence running the show but they might even be avoiding like the dip that they seem to have on defense this year. Although Isaiah Simmons is also a monster. So um, that's our Ohio state Clemson podcast. That was a deep dive into that. I like, that's why I like wanting to make sure we keep having a two hour plus podcast once a week. So we can really delve into stuff like that. The half hour pods, the other four days will probably maybe most of the time, maybe take one topic and really get into it. Maybe delve into a little bit of fast food stuff, a little bit of something else but I think it'll just be maybe a good solid 20 minute discussion on one thing and a couple other loose ends. So we hope you guys will enjoy those coming up. We hope you enjoyed this version of the gigantic, huge two hour plus Wednesday podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to Buckeye talk, wherever you subscribe to podcasts, try the text 614-350-3315. The favorite modern football Buckeye bracket in the second round results will be coming on that throughout the week. We're still writing about recruiting. We're still running about football. Um, so we appreciate you guys following along. Stay safe. Stay smart out there. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>